Welcome to the podcast on fire on divergence, rule number one and full strike. And the final verdict, the final judgment is handed in in this, the finale episode of our Ikin Cheng movie review series, dubbed the Ikin Hour. So will it be Ikin or Ikin officially? This is Tot's official. This is government business, essentially. Uh, after Will that happen? Will it be Ikin or Ikin after this free movie bumper pack finale? And uh, listen in to find out the, how this all concludes. And first up is Benny Chan's action thriller Divergence, uh, featuring uh, a lot of standing and sitting still by Ikin. And then uh, that sort of murder and kidnapping mystery uh, also involves and stars Aaron Kwok and Daniel Wu. And in the uh, second, uh, in the second review, uh, together with uh, Sean Yu at the Mad Department, Ikin Cheng chases ghosts, and uh, that one was an actual award-winning uh, little horror movie called Rule Number One from Singaporean director Kelvin Tong. And in the final review of it all, Reformed Triad take up badminton in full strike. And uh, we'll of course give you the sort of live on air summary of what we thought of uh, the nine films in the series and what the Eakin and Aiken score is. So join me, Kennedy, for the final Eakin hour. And I am I'm with, of course, Phil G of EasternFilmFans.co.uk. That's me. Hey, what's up? I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit uh, I'm feeling a bit fruity today. I'm, I'm I'm gonna I think today I'm gonna like today. I'm gonna like this podcast because it's over. It's finally over. <laughs> Louis <laughs> two sides to it. Yeah, it's almost over. Yay! No, no, and I'm sad. Mm, sad. Mm, screw. But we we shall see. I I'm feeling positive about this podcast. I'm feeling upbeat. But um, yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Hi. I went into this with uh, a sort of general like of Egan. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like with George Lamb and God. Stab him in his damn <laughs> fucking heart <laughs> on a podcast he won't ever notice at all. And with Alan Tamer, it's like, oh, God, I don't like you at all. So let's do this. With Egan, it's like, hey, I kind of like it. It's cool. It's cool. The latter half of his uh, career is better. So it's all it's all good. Uh, so that's a sort of um, sort of um, intro to it all as we uh, as we go into this uh, free movie review show week in our finale, and uh, we'll uh, we'll start this off first with some uh, contact information. This is Podcast on Fire, and it's sub series week in our on the Podcast on Fire network. Our uh, hub, so to say, our website is uh, podcastonfire.com where you'll find the back catalogue of Podcast on Fire that uh, focuses on uh, Hong Kong cinema, new and old, some occasional mainland Chinese uh, cinema, because uh, I'm sure Ikin has done uh, such movies, so uh, you gotta you gotta go where the work is, and therefore sometimes we review movies from uh, that uh, territory. And uh, you have a massive backlog also of shows that focuses on Japanese cinema and Korean cinema and even sleazy Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema. So plenty to choose from if you've listened to Viking Hour. Thank you very much. If you were new to to uh, the the massive uh, the, the, the massive thing, the massive man that is Ikin Cheng, uh, if you were new to him via our coverage, then hope you found something you like. Hope you found something that you wanted to pursue based on our discussion because uh, that's really the... Uh, the nice bonus of it all if uh, we could affect change in your hearts and minds uh, by going out and buying uh, buying movies then uh, that's uh, fantastic so uh, whether you started with 
return to a better tomorrow or went the young and dangerous route or uh, focused on something that came out just a few years ago so i uh, hope uh, hope uh, this has uh, affected you in some shape or form we're very appreciative of that very fact and uh, if you want to reach us uh, let us know if uh, what your favorite Deacon Cheng movie is so uh, if you prefer him to be uh, uh, named uh, in in english noodles because Eakin is just wrong then if you prefer noodles then uh, <laughs> let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com follow us over on social media show updates and discussion over on our facebook uh, group mainly we also have a facebook page that you can reach through uh, the facebook logo at the top of our website and uh, if you are on the page please leave a like in support uh, and again join the discussion group for some well behaved banter various topics and show updates if you want to follow along that way and we're also on uh, twitter so click that button you can follow us on apple podcasts of course subscribe rate leave a review stream us on stitcher radio as well as spotify and uh, i write about the hong kong and taiwanese movies over on so goodreviews.com i have a video hub called sleazykvideo.com sans the sleazy most of the time nowadays because uh, there's barely any sites where you can post even mildly uh, adult stuff and mine was really mild and you know not adult at all but they just shut down the channel anyway they just couldn't take the cat free that i bring to the table so uh, just ha- had to conclude that series of reviews and uh, the 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 video reviews i put up are of uh, you know the taiwanese uh, movies and uh, category free movies that don't involve uh, erotica so that's so i can keep sleazykvideo.com but uh, it's uh, not as sleazy anymore so you'll just have to survive and uh, follow my tweets over at that so good reviews.com philly uh, you are not uh, taking over the mantle of uh, posting uh, video reviews of category free movies. Uh, but what kind of reviews uh, do you post over on your site? <laughs> Mind you, there's a thought I could do, couldn't I? Um, well, you know, I, I do like my action movies. We all know this. But, you know, anything Eastern, uh, British, independent movies, you know, we, we do all that. Um, we, we did a little... Um, um, a segment on uh, Avengement you might have seen on the website. I did a little interview with Scott Adkins. Yeah, it's just a little one. Hometown boy coming home. Coming home. Yeah, hometown boy. Yeah, bummy boy coming back and stuff. We talked about lots of things, including Avengement, um, Ip Man Four. Um, we talked, but um, we also talked about bringing it home to uh, Birmingham. A little bit of tidbit information for you: Avengement was originally going to be set in Birmingham. Mm, Where was it set? Uh, Indiana? Was it London? It was London in the end because it sells to the international markets and they know London. And we were like, why not Birmingham? Bring it to Birmingham. Um, so we, we've come up and um, I said they can have the title, uh, Enter the Bullring, we shall call it, based on the Birmingham Bullring. And it's a it's a fighting tournament kind of movie set in Brum. Um, I think it would be a great idea. So those are the things we discussed um, and my second time um, interviewing Scott, who's the utter professional and uh, a really nice bloke as well. A man who sleeps uh, 10 minutes per decade. Exactly. He, he must, the amount of films he, he, he churns out and stuff, but um, he, a man who's completely driven um, for his art, um, for the love of film and everything. And you can see that and the passion. Um, and, you, you know, it's easy to interview him because you, you get that raw passion and stuff. So, and you wonder, is that his choice to really, uh, that he really wants to work? Or has he ever expressed, like, uh, and contemplated that that uh, is going to uh, scale down work? Because it's really admirable how much he puts out there. And I wonder, like, I hope he's not burning himself out. 
you know, and, and there is, so, um, uh, this like, uh, I've got a, a friend that, um, he went down to do a seminar at a, you know, karate club and, you know, and teach kids and all that good stuff. And he, he stopped in the hotel that my, my friend runs and stuff. And she served him breakfast in the morning. That's a claim to fame. She loved it. Okay. Bless her. And she had said, he looked knackered because he was flying off to LA the next day and stuff. And it was literally from this to that, to the other, <clears throat> that was probably, was it a year, a couple of years ago? Um, I think he's a more choosing now in the pictures that he, that he does than, um, than he did before. Um, but I, I think he just loves it that much. I think what he's got with Jesse though, is something that works and you can see his films, the avengement, um, they announced they're working on accident man Two, the follow up, which was great. Those films that he's doing with Jesse, they, he brings out a different side to Scott. So he's pushing himself as an actor and he's trying to pick up projects that push himself as an actor. But obviously he's keeping the fan base as well with the action stuff. So he's trying to do both. Hence why he's got such a large volume of work because he's doing the action stuff that people love. But also he's trying to do other things. I know Avengement is still action, but it was a different role for him. It was a different side you see him in. He was he's pushing from his acting point of view. There's that. So he's, he's trying to do all these different things that will appease his fans, but also push him as well as an actor and stuff. And you, you've got to, you, you know, you got to praise him for that. Um, you know, he's hard working and, you know, he wants to go for it. He needs a break. He needs a, you know, he needs a role that would break him out. Uh, and he deserves that. You know what I mean? He could be a Scott, um, Scott Atkins. He is Scott Atkins. He could be a, you know, Jason Statham. He just needs that role, I think. And, and, and it also is admirable and and i was i also can imagine that working with people you know and have a, a rapport with a sync with that means you're not stressing out exactly. about how it's going to turn out because uh, before he worked a lot with and i'm sure he's going to work in the future with uh, again with uh, isaac florentine so i'm sure that that's a, like a comfort zone that it's worth putting myself through whatever uh, physical uh, not stress but uh, physical activity that need to be put through because I'm in the hands of people that I trust and uh, so you know it's motivation and motivation sometimes you know builds up energy and therefore you can go on working so very cool well we'll link to uh, your uh, your interview and uh, meeting and all of that so it's very cool that you're out there as per usual and easternfilmfans.co.uk is the URL uh, let's uh, do the rundown there's a few points of interest and context to be uh, shared and had throughout these discussions and I'll put uh, time codes next to whatever background section we are featuring and the review themselves uh, so the section on uh, divergence is uh, pretty straightforward i have some minor notes on the release and awards aftermath of the film and we then discuss and review it there will be a break and uh, in the rule number one part of the show we will first discuss some biographical tidbits concerning uh, the singaporean director kelvin tong uh, his career the reception of rule number one and then we review and discuss that movie and in uh, the final third of it all it's uh, pretty much the same uh, we have some background on the, the directing duo of Full Strike and uh, how that movie came about and uh, after that we'll review and discuss uh, the movie and it all concludes with the sort of Eakin and Aiken tally uh, the final count if you if you will so it's a big episode and uh, the time codes are available uh, to you so let's uh, take a musical break first of all to set the mood for Divergence uh, from 2005 uh, the triple the triple bill of uh, Aaron Eakin and Daniel from uh, 2005 and uh, we'll be right back after that musical break probably an Aaron song you know out of all these three uh, who, who would you guess will get the honor of having his uh, song in the movie would it be Aaron or Eakin because I don't think Daniel sings to be honest with that no. <laughs> didn't they damn 
Well, may, may, well, granted, uh, Daniel did that uh, heavenly. He directed that heavenly king's uh, 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 fake documentary, and they they did a song for that or a couple of songs for that and performed as part of that fake uh, counterpop group. Uh, so, so uh, you know, may, maybe they're like that movie worked. He wasn't a director. Give him the counterpop <laughs> song for <laughs> Divergence or all. Uh, but no, I would guess uh, it would be Aaron. Though. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And welcome back in the first review of this Ikan Hour finale is Divergence from 2005 and plot from the Love HK film review of uh, the film Nice and Furrow plot. Uh, Aaron Kwok is Shun, a rundown cop who once upon a time was host of a cop radio show. It's referenced at the top of the movie. Those were fine days for Shun, since he had a loving girlfriend named Fong, played by Angelica Lee from The Eye, and a fine head of floppy, pop star style hair. Nowadays, Shun's hair is short and spiky, and Fong is gone. Literally. She's been missing for 10 years, which is uh, the cause of Shun's beaten up status and the object of his constant obsession. Shun is in the process of uh, extraditing a portly accountant from Canada back to Hong Kong, but the guy gets capped uh, while chained to Shun. The killer is Coke, played by Daniel Wu. I'm not sure that name ever came up in my version, to be honest, but uh, regardless, uh, that is Daniel Wu's character. He is an oddly honorable assassin who takes greater interest in Shun than he should. Meanwhile, the accountant's death is a relief for corrupt businessman, played by Galen Lowe, whose money laundering operation and a fat wad of cash has been frozen by the cops, which obviously makes some shadowy bad guys unhappy. Shun's seal for justice, Aaron Kwok's character, or his obsessive manic personality puts him on the case uh, almost immediately. Enter Toe, played by Ikin Cheng, a barrister who works for the corrupt businessman, played by Galen Lowe, and basically makes a living protecting bad people from the law. Toe and Shun immediately face off, but sparks do not fly, because Toe is so stoic that he may not even have a pulse. Apparently there's something going on with Toe, but Shun can't put his finger on it. He's too, bus- he's too busy chasing Daniel Wu's character Coke and just trying to understand what the hell is going on. To top it all off, there's a string of mysterious piano wire killings going on. The corrupt businessman's pop star son goes missing and Shun has just stumbled upon Fong after 10 years of searching. Or has he? So it's a, it's a busy movie. So some minor background, it's directed by Benny Chan, who continued to solidify his uh, position as one of Hong Kong's most efficient commercial action filmmakers. Uh, you know, here in that new new millennium, but he certainly had done so with uh, Big Bullet in the 90s, Gen X Cops, he directed Gen Y Cops, so those uh, movies were behind him already. In 2003 also held a um, collaboration with Ikin Cheng in the rather average heroic duo. Uh, Benny also helped revive the police story brand in 2004 for New Police Story. And, and I guess this was his uh, movie after, uh, New Police Story, because this is 2005 uh, and Divergence came to the screens and uh, ended up at least um, for falling into favor with the awards juries. So it won Best Editing at the Hong Kong Film Awards, same in Taiwan, and uh, at their Golden Horse Awards. And Aaron Kwok also received a Best Actor statuette, uh, statuette in 
Taiwan. And as for box office, it earned a little over 6 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. Uh, it was not really terrific numbers as such. It didn't even land a top 10 spot in terms of local releases that year. Um, and uh, as for where it was on the list for local and international films combined, it was number 44 in Hong Kong. And the, the top movie of that year, a movie that I watched 20 minutes off and then I just realized it's not for me. And that was Initial D. It's that whole, it's the car thing, Phil. It's like, <laughs> rum, 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 It's the car thing. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> and I mean, I had no uh, uh, history with the manga or anime, and it's Jay Chow. It's the Jay Chow thing also. It just looks like he's moping his way through his performance. Uh, uh, I heard Anthony Wong is good in it, and Kenny B is in it, and all of that, but I, I, I just, uh, I, I don't get this. This isn't for me, so I went, rum, rum, out of there. <laughs> did you watch initial d do you remember uh, having an interest in it it was on my list and then fell off the list so yeah i never got married to it it's probably a good thing but you know now i actually want to watch it from that description which is just bizarre so i might put it back room, on the room. list bye it's a very long list that i've got so how when i get around to it and stuff but yeah. yeah and maybe it was a good adaptation of the anime manga who knows uh, but it simply wasn't for me that stylish sort of showcase and the cool of yeah. seeing splendid looking cars to cool things and maybe drifting i don't know but uh, it just wasn't for me i mean uh, just like the initial fast and the furious movies are definitely not for me i haven't seen the ones that have made the series turn really bizarre and and over mm-hmm. the top now with the rock and and stay for me and i haven't seen those but i heard that they differ a lot from what the fast and yeah. furious movies uh, started out as which was really you know car porn i'll tell you a story uh, two of my friends uh, are really into you know, cars and bikes and things like that. It's an interest and they are knowledgeable about it. And I, I sat next to them watching part of the first Fast and the Furious. This is ages ago now. And uh, I mean, it's it, it, it's a stylish movie and the cars go <laughs> and the camera work is really, <laughs> is really stylish. I could notice that, but what they noticed... And they said this amongst themselves, like, did you hear the exhaust sound on that thing? Like, did you hear the exhaust sound a particular way on that car? Wow, did you hear it? And I was like, wow, what kind of... That's a detail to pick up. Mm-hmm. That, uh, because the, the exhaust made a certain sound or the smoke coming out of it looked a certain way. They were like like rock hard just because of that kind of... <laughs> and I love that. It was like, I have no eye for that. And it's amazing they have an ear an eye for that so uh just goes to show that um you watch movies uh differently and pick up different things yeah and i guess that's uh for that movie franchise that's where it began and stuff and then it became this bigger thing and don't the the the, the latest films are action-packed and they're great action-packed films you know they're, they're great entertainment but they're nowhere near that it's not racing anymore. It's a, like it's a heist films, and they just go they, absolutely they crazy. Listen to those exhausts and stuff. I'm sure they they don't care and stuff because it's spiraled into this massive thing and stuff. So it's become more than that. It's, it's catered for the masses. But they're, yeah, they're entertaining films. I have to say. So, I did so. watch that trailer, Hobson Shaw trailer, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad that those characters are popular and they're getting their their own spin off. But um, I'm not sure it's still for me. But I appreciate that. Uh, well. The sky's the limit now. So uh, apparently Idris Elba is a superhero. So that's what we're doing. Like money, money, money. <laughs> Unlike uh, Divergence, who didn't make a lot of money. So uh, maybe they should have put more cars in, in this one. So uh, <laughs> there were a lot of there were a fair amount of car crashes and things like that. But um, 
Uh, but, but maybe the fault was that Aaron Cork went backwards instead of forwards in his car. <laughs> That was that was the that was the, the stale. It was the it was yeah. But uh, we'll we, 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 we'll get to that. Maybe, maybe that's a spoiler moment. But anyway, as for my short opinion of Divergence, I I haven't seen this before, so I sort of picked it by uh, going by gut feeling. That uh, will because the other ones I have seen, Rule Number One and Full Strike. So it was like, well, let's throw this into it. I know really nothing of it other than I remember that I think Aaron wants something for it. And that was it. Uh, as for my opinion, then, it's a solid thriller and mystery from Benny Chan. who He, he does flex his action muscles well when called upon, uh, upon, but it really is a thriller more than anything else. The static and stoic eking is actually an, an effective part of the mystery. And Aaron mostly gets the obsessive, psychologically unstable cop right. It's only when Benny's unfortunately still poor handling of the heart-wrenching drama that was definitely evident in New Police Story. When that rears his head, head, I think Aaron's choices are too wild for the film, but then he snaps back into better choices. Uh, so we saw some of that in New Police Story, and I'm not sure why Benny is still uh, thinking this is uh, viable to just go 200% melodrama, melodrama but that's uh, all in all a solid film. Uh, I, I I did enjoy it, and uh, uh, all three get all three get a pause. So there it is. Uh, what do you want to say about uh, Divergence in in short? I have to agree. There, there's so much. There's so much to Divergence. There's a lot going on to pack into a into a film, and maybe it doesn't all come together at the end. Um, but there's yeah, there's a hell of a lot going on. In actual fact, there's probably there's enough there to, for a repeat viewing in the future. Um, and you're probably right. They all get a pass only just and for reasons that I will get into in a bit, but only by the skin of their teeth. Although in saying that, Daniel Wu probably is my um, the outstanding actor from the trio for this um, ensemble for the movie. So, yeah, he gets an automatic pass, but the other two just scrape. Did this come across your radar, you know, after the sort of, I don't know what you thought of New Police Story, but, uh, you know, he, he was, um, you know, he wasn't named then. He wasn't new, new but in 2004. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's, it's New Police Story. It's Jackie Chan. I was always going to love it. And it's, and, it's, and it's Benny Chan. And, you know, I love Benny Chan. I interview Benny Chan. So oh, um, oh, don't, 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 don't like uh, walk all, all over that story. Tell that story. <laughs> well... They've, when I first set up the site and stuff, I, uh, as you do, and if you want to go into, you know, writing about films and stuff and get a passion for it, you know, I set up the website and got a friend to do it. I, I just put my feelers out to, to everybody and, and anybody I could. And I so happened to put my feelers out and Benny Chan was doing um, some uh, publicity stuff for, and I can't remember the film, um, whether it was, Shaolin or whether it was I don't know but anyway it was about eight years ago so um, I actually interviewed Benny Chan I was over the phone I was in the office at work and stuff I come in early because of the time difference and I actually interviewed him at work and stuff on my phone they had an interpreter there as well although his uh, English wasn't too bad he's directed Paul Rudd of course his English is impeccable man <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I know yeah, yeah and he's great so but um yeah so I had I had the honor and the privilege and it was um you know as you can imagine I was still starstruck even though it was across the phone and stuff and it was like I say it was eight years ago but it was um you know the interviews there on Eastern Film Fans go check it out and um it was uh, an absolute bloody honor and he's uh I've I've been a fan obviously ever since because you know he took his time you know I wasn't a, a big boy I was just you know 
this kid who just got this film site set up and stuff, and he and he did me the the honor of uh, of the interview. So yeah, it was uh, it was great. So obviously, I've been a fan of his work. I didn't get round to Divergence just because. I knew it was uh, one of those films, those thriller films, you kind of need to be in the mood for it, so I never got around to it, but it was always on the list. Um, but um, obviously I was keen I was keen to watch it. Yeah, and obviously his history goes back even uh, to a moment of romance, which uh, I've, I've heard is a sort of mixture of uh, directors chipping in, if you will, and everyone from Ringo Lamb to Johnny Toe, but it is Benny Chan's uh, film, you know, official and all of that, so we're not taking it away from him, and that that's like an uber classic of of uh, Hong Kong cinema, Big Bullet is good fun, and uh, and Gen X Cops is good fun. One of these days, I just have to sit through Gen Y Cops and just fast forward through a couple of segments. I guess that annoyed me initially. Uh, those segments are spelled Edison Chen, but uh, <laughs> so I gotta see Rod, man. I gotta see a full Rod. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Shaolin, I like uh, I liked enough. So he, he like he's a dependable commercial action filmmaker. So you would get professionalism at the very least. And a slick frame and uh, all of that stuff. And, you know, he opens with some rainy night killer stuff, which is no slam dunk in terms of atmosphere. But uh, it opens the mystery, and I'll grant him his mystery, because clearly he's working a different genre here. Stop thrilling me with uh, mystery coherency and uh, and uh, bring this ba- baby home. And uh, in a fair way, he did. And uh, we, we, we talked a little about... Um, a director we we follow and uh aaron as an actor is certainly something i'm i've followed throughout the years and maybe he's deserving of a series on its own but i i always thought he i mean just like the new millennium did for Eken, aaron grew into a more handsome assured presence as well as he uh you know as he grew into more of a man and less of a, of a boyish look mm. right so i mean he's an award-winning actor by now even outside of this movie so I've reached a point with Aaron where I think it's very compelling to see him on screen. He has an assured presence about him. He has a movie star aura about him. And, uh, you know, he can shed his sort of more outrageous pop star aura very easily and uh, immerse himself in movies. I mean, his big dramatic movie after this, Our Exile, from the year after, I think, was... uh, well worth uh, you know the award he got and uh, the development uh, the devotion he put into that was uh, was uh, very good the problem i think here going into like like benny chan drops some things that i I don't know if he's unsure of himself when it comes to the drama but he really did, did there's an early scene where Aaron Kwok thinks he sees Angelica Lee's Fong on the airplane, so we get our first taste of that. I, I I just wish he pulled back some of the piano and violin. Oh, it's so sugary. Oh, I'm missing my girlfriend so much. I'm Ill- I have I'm having illusions that I'm seeing someone else. And I think like there's a good dramatic core there, and it becomes. I'm not trying to be like I'm a man, so I don't like drama, but it's too sugary and too sweet for me, and he uh, he overdoes it. You know what I mean? Or or what do you think of the that drama in general? Exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was it was you know he kind of kicks you in the face with it, and you don't want to be kicked in the face. You just want a gentle slap and go, yeah, okay. Um, rather than a bush, yeah, okay. When enough, enough, yes. Too much, too much. Rain it in, and there's a fine line between excellence and good. And divergence is good. Don't get me wrong. And it, it's, it's teetering. It's, it's got all the elements there. It just doesn't quite put it all together correctly sometimes. And like I say, the melodrama, yes, it's oh, it's too over the top. 
it's almost like he's screaming like get the violins in here quickly otherwise no one will understand but don't push it you know you can just calmly show that and give that and the audience will pick up on that and you can deliver that as a film but you know don't slap it across you know what would have worked if he had let that moment last like five seconds if Aaron looked up there's Angelica Lee he looks somewhere else and then there's someone else there and it would be like merely a tease Robert and he does it a a few times in the film as well when we get to like but he does it there's a there's a couple of instances of that there's just no need when he when he over over does it Probably those are the only um, downside. And like I say, there is a lot going on. So he kind of ties it up towards the end, I guess. But you have to wonder probably when you get there and stuff. But there's a lot going on in this film. There's a lot to keep you entertained and stuff. And at the start of that, yeah, probably over-exit. But um, it's good when he he gets to that that position on kind of the next step when he comes off and he starts that story. You know, Daniel comes into kind of the scene and stuff and... I mean, talk of that, like the assassination sequence. How do you think that's played? Because it's uh, it comes with a startle. Uh, we we can't anticipate that that it will happen necessarily. So, how did you think he played that? Because it's it's a big action beat, but it's also very violent. Yeah, and it's great, and it, and it works well because it, it drives it drives the story. You kind of you get an understanding of all of a sudden this character comes into play and you, you need to know more about that. But it, it drives the story from there because that's the that the jump off point that grabs your attention, I guess, certainly from a, a viewing point of view to, to want to understand more. And that's where the kind of the story involved. And it's a good, it's a good action piece. Like you say, it's set up quite nicely. Um, the stuntmen um, did well again with the, with the cars and the flipping and, and all that good stuff. And he drives, like I say, it's a, it's a pinnacle point of that, of the movie at the start to, to hook the audience to go, right, I want to know, I want to understand. And, and that's what he does. And the action serves that serves the story, I guess, rather than it just being, you know, as some things are. I mean, I, I, I think it correctly emphasizes violence. And yeah. Um, yeah, yes, there are flips and all of that, but it doesn't turn into uh, a, a show-off piece or anything. Exactly. Because uh, he emphasizes violence. I like little details uh, when we see uh, the aftermath of that, of the crash, and, and obviously the, the hit the hit man job. And you see twitching corpses in the car, and then the bloodied Aaron is, you know, getting out of the car in a daze. Yeah, exactly. And they focus on, I like it, so he's in the car and he sees the blood on him and he's focused on that. And, and that's that's what drives it. That's what is a, is a viewer going, because it isn't like wham, bam, that happens. There's there's focus to it. You know, there's there's thought about it. It's not just there for an action scene. It's driving the story. That's why I say it's more action driven for the story rather than action in itself and stuff, 100%. And it's telling a story within the action, which is part of it. And this is this is what it is. And that's how action should be done, not just for the sake of it, just to throw it in because it needs to be there because there's a purpose to it. And this is a purpose. And it's telling the story within that action scene. And you're right, like the twitching bodies in the calm and stuff. There's a focus, and and Daniel looking down the sights at him. He's he's got him and stuff. And you only one moment. You go, will he pull the trigger? You know, he could all be over. We know it's not, but you know, he could be. There, there it is. And there's a moment that doesn't. He doesn't have to do that scene, but he does. And he and he makes it. And it makes for a great scene. It, it reminded me of. Uh... The, the really effective opening of New Police Story, which is um, really harrowing, um, you know, before it uh, goes to melodrama roots that I personally don't uh, like. Yeah, again, the drunken master can't act drunk. That's a problem. 
What the heck happened there? Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. I'll shut stick up. To, stick to the script. Yes. Eakin is not in the movie for a whole lot until the last uh, half or last third. You know, and the, the only sort of image we get of him is of this. And, and this is not putting him down or anything. I think that this is very much intentional. He's an almost robotic, impeccable barrister the way he sits still mm. and there's something phil in my opinion that you you have to sort of admire you, your control and your presence in doing that very thing sitting still and being cold it's he seems like he, he's not a hothead like aaron quark partially is but he needs as a professional as a barrister bring his professionalism out and his dialogue out when called upon so it made me curious like where is this going because clearly they're going to do more with him than just having sit there and say a few words every now and again but in all honesty image image wise you know it doesn't look bad on him i think uh, roll back the clock 10 years and maybe he wouldn't have been able to play a barrister but his his cold image made me curious about the mystery and i think that's if not the highest compliment you can pay a film, it's certainly a compliment towards the film that I'm watching this and I'm, I'm curious now, what does he have to do with this? You know? Yeah, I, 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 I get where you're coming you, from. You, you don't need you to agree. You don't need to agree. So No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, to a certain extent. Um, because when you first see him, yes, and, and you get that and stuff. But after a while, it started to grate on me because it was like, well, there's not really a lot going on with him. And, and especially because... You know, Aaron and Daniel both get more screen time. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of development of the character. Now that changes later on, and it might change my opinion later on. But at the, the beginning and through the film and stuff, I was going, nope, don't like it. Nope. If I got out now, because I'm looking at the film and watching the film, but obviously, you know, this is the Ekin hour. Come on, we, we we're looking at it for for is he aching or is he aching? Is he and I'm going, at the moment, no, he's aching all over the place. No, I'm not liking it. He's not doing anything for me. He's not delivering. He's not doing anything. But but it is by purpose, though. Uh, it is intentional yeah, exactly. that they not, they're not featuring him that much at all. Yeah, until the stages. And, and he comes together, as we well, we know, later on, and he comes together, and therefore it changes my mind. But while I was watching it, I'm going, no, it's definitely going to be and aching, it just ain't working. He's not doing anything. I appreciate the other actors, you know, upstaging him and stuff, but he's not, there's not enough of him to, and it, what he's got, he's not doing enough with, but obviously that changes later on. But that was the moment when Phil wrote Aiken with crayon on the walls. <laughs> again, <laughs> I've made over up my and mind. Over again. Aiken. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, permanent marker on the wall <laughs> yeah and i started to write it he cried and it, and it was to some extent but then i was i got back to the film and started watching the film again and, and he was just there and playing this character yeah great but there's there's nothing really going on but that was my initial thoughts um from obviously the film but obviously when we get later on it's a different kettle of fish and therefore my opinion changed for sure, and uh, I, I get that. Now. We're not going to spoil uh, the ending because it, is, because it is a mystery. And really, it's an earned quark piece, and uh, there, there, there's no ounce of originality in terms of how the the worn, downtrodden copy is portrayed. But that's okay. I mean, you, yeah, you, exactly. it's it's how you uh, how you uh, work those uh, tropes. So you know, he's worn. He has weight on his shoulders and guilt and all the all, all those classic tropes. And he's a hothead, but he's also 
calm he has a calm demeanor and uh, you know he, he covers the spectrum so so psychologically and mood mood yeah. wise and and i think when, when benny isn't pushing the violin tinged melodrama i think aaron does well for himself mixing those moods i think literally the, the reason why it's let's say it's it's a 70 percent real dependable performance is is because of the way benny is asking his actor to uh to emote and it turns really bizarre in certain movies where like calm no 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 i mean it's not realistic okay i'm i'm gonna quote a little bit of the scene where i'm just going i think the director is wrong here and i don't know what his problem is (laughs) the scene where aaron is uh you know, crying in the car and he's yes. put the car in reverse and going yes. backwards in traffic. I thought that was downright perfectly done. And it was such a shame because I, I felt with the character and then you give him a borderline parody or cartoon moment that t- tries to depict melodrama and psycholo- a psychological break. And it's... I've seen Benny do better. And that's the thing that makes me sad that I, I, he should know better. And this was a moment that you don't win awards for that moment. Maybe that's the moment you won an award for. <laughs> Probably actually wasn't that much. I thought you were going to say the other moment. Because like I say, there's like the melodrama. Let, let's get it out of the way. And let's, let's get the, the, that's what it is. That That's the trouble with it. This, this is what is from a good movie to, you know, excellent movie it is the melodrama and stuff so my bit for me was when he was sitting in the car and he, he's, he's he's stalking um so to speak ekin's um wife and uh, he's in and he's he's crying over a fillet of fish you, you can see he's got a fillet fish and he's crying over a fillet fish and he lingers there it seemed like forever and i'm like do you need to go do you need to do we need to be in this scene for that long you know there's too much there's too much of it and 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 you know, considering uh, clearly they are comfortable with downplaying the uh, the guilt and the psychological break in other scenes. I'm just so sort of yeah, surprised exactly. where that they needed to push um, this thing to eleven, really. Uh, exactly. But let, let's get back to the the good stuff. And when the good stuff happens, it happens. I mean, Daniel Wu, you 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 sing a lot. So in in general, uh, what is it about uh, uh, Daniel Wu that uh, stands out for you in this one? I, I just like the the character. He plays it. He brings something different. He brings a kind of almost warm-hearted to a certain extent, uh, yet still cold-blooded, which is difficult to pull off. And I can't believe I actually just said that, but it's true. And and he pulls it off, and he's and he's brilliantly done by him. And I and I love that character. And I and I wanted to see more, um, well, even more of him. And I'd, I'd like to see a spin-off of him. I'd like to see him to carry on and. It worked so well for me. Every time he was in a scene, all of a sudden I piqued my interest because that's what motivated me and, uh, you know, and Aaron and uh, and Danny there, you know, the action scene they have, there's a big action scene in the in the middle of the movie and stuff and they run into like kind of the fish market and stuff. He's really good because uh, really. a running chase yeah. that extended could exactly. easily be boring, but they really kept that up. Uh, it's only the ending moment of that scene where I thought, like, oh, it's now it's fantasy, the way Daniel Wu escapes. Yeah, exactly. But for an action scene, you know, Benny knows how to do this, and he does it really well. And, you know, two fine actors, and and you get it, and there's, you know, that um, cat and mouse thing in the fish market when you get there and stuff, and, you know, where he's in, he's Aaron's looking for him, and, you know, you know that it all works, and it works so well, and, I, you know, I love that 
those two when they were together it worked so well so the Aiken thing didn't come into my mind so much throughout the movie because I'd already gone well that's it he's Aiken forget it and stuff for, for I hope he's not in the rest of the movie because yeah, I hate he's him. going in the rest of the movie for me I'm not watching him I'm just <laughs> concerned about these two I want him I want him to find out and you know and I quite you know I quite enjoyed Daniel as well as this uh, assassin and stuff but yeah it works so well and stuff, you know. They're fine with bags on the head. Come on, folks, you've got to watch it just for that, that was scene. intense, man, Brilliant. because uh, that yeah. wasn't uh, that scene method the way they needed to work the plastic bags yeah. and the suffocation that could possibly happen. It really looked uh, like, well, we gotta, we can't see you in the bags, so <laughs> gotta put them over your head. So, all right, exactly. You crack on. This is the That's last it. of the Heavenly King's uh, appearance in uh, in any movie. Ta-da! Like we we go out this way. <laughs> I, uh, I I think Daniel is very solid. I've, al- I've always said that, especially early in his career, he was. it's going to sound like odd praise and odd slam at the same time, but I always thought in the earlier stages of his career, of his career he was a better non-verbal actor. With dialogue, not so much. A purple Storm is all the better for the silent stretches from him and, and Josie Ho, who has like one line in that movie. He's good at emoting that way. There's a key piece to the mystery of Angelica Lee's character that involves Daniel Wu. Uh, we know that because of a little uh, flashback. And then that is revealed later on in the movie. And he, his expression is not complex. It, he does what he needs to for the drama to be pushed forward. But I always thought that Daniel had, had a good handle on nonverbal expression. Whether it's you know showing a, a sense of uh, conscience or, uh, or whatever it is. Um, so he's, he, it isn't mania akin to what Aaron is asked to, to yeah, do. Exactly. Uh, so he, he's very solid. The, the, the only bit I loved a bit uh, loved that was that he's such a he's such an assassin that he sits in bed and shoots pellets at cockroaches from his bed using his big stack scope gun because <laughs> I'm an assassin. Exactly. And I have to use a scope because I'm an assassin. But he's great. No, he's great. I, I, like I say, I could have seen, I could have watched another movie with him in, I, I, you know, or that, you know, evolved as that character because he was, he was layered and he portrayed it well with his, with Aaron's, like I say, there was that, just that too much of that melodrama and too much of that, oh, fucking hell, I mean, just get over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus. Um, but has um, for 10 it, years. <laughs> yeah, it's 10 years. Just fucking, you know. And, and really the, the, the Aaron Kwok flashbacks are where he's uh, uh, which is 10 years earlier so they give him a new look and he looks like he's 12 and he acts acts like an over (laughs) over eager kid I'm at an amusement park and I have a girlfriend hey bubbles 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 and the transition made me you know in an overall sense I like Quark's performance but that that transition from that happy-go-lucky kid to the downtrodden adult I also thought was very problematic because it seemed uh, it, it just seemed odd uh, like oddly distant from each other you know it sounds like we're dissing this film and it, 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 you know there's more negativity and it's not at all and stuff I just I think the reason why we're doing that is because it could have been so it could have been almost brilliant you know, there's a there's a story and everything's there. It's almost just Benny just doesn't quite pull it together, and that's what's so annoying. But don't get us wrong; you should see this film. It's a great film. It's it's a great film. It's a great ensemble. Piece. It's it's sad also, by the way, because the, the writer Ivy Ho, she's very very talented. Whether writing romance or darker stories, she's a director herself too. So I think the the sort of um, skeleton of the script 
is there, but I something happened in transition from uh, from paper to screen, and uh, you know, you know, unfortunately, you have to sort of put that on Benny. Uh, he's he's in charge of this and the over the top moments, but you also have to, well, what you have to put on Benny is when the movie works, obviously. So he has that in him, but there, there, there is an insecure aura about him that I'm, I'm not sure where where it's coming from or why it's here during this these few years because I I remember Shaolin was not problematic as such, and uh, you know, so he, he's uh, and I'm sure Invisible Target is uh, this regardless if it tries drama or not. Is is pretty pretty solid. People um, single that out as a good action piece. So it's not like he's uh, incompetent or growing more incompetent the older he gets. Uh, I mean, Gen X Cops is the cheesiest cheesiest movie ever, and it's lovely because they they all get it. They they all get that this is uh, this is stupid. Yeah, and you can't fault Benny because I mean the action scenes that you know crop up and this every, everyone is you know is a master class. You know, there's no. Sure is. There's no default, you know, even the, you know, the muddy car park scene, there's a shooting and stuff. It's, it's gritty. It looks great. The rain's pouring. It's, it never really, and that I might about the movie, the way it maintained the fact that the action scenes are violent scenes. They're, yeah. they're dirtier and they're gritty action scenes. And yeah. the, uh, like the assassination attempt on Daniel Wu's character, for instance, is loud and pretty brutal, including the shooting of, a cold-blooded shooting of a woman. There, there, there's certainly more behind that, but I thought that was just effective because he was not a character that was going to, uh, you know, talk a little bit about uh, why he's possibly going to shoot someone. No, he just, boom, boom, down you go. He didn't yeah. say that, but, uh, you know, he was cold-blooded. And, and really, the uh, there's some pretty rousing gunplay in um scene towards the end involving a shotgun and Gallon Lowe's character and bodyguards. And these feel felt like deaths and violence rather than like in, inconsequential you know it, exactly. it felt um, uh, a bit nauseous to just see people die this way you know it's a slick package but it gets like the dirty gritty sort of rainy muddy uh, uh, setting correct uh, there yeah exactly and that's what it does it so well and that drives the story like say the action sequence is there for a purpose to drive the storyline and to keep in in with the characters as you're saying and daniel's characters the assassin yeah that's what he does so you know get over it people bang i shoot people you don't like it but that's what i do and you and you get it and obviously the the, the muddy scene the, that action scene obviously then changes my mind about obviously from an akin to an ekin because all of a sudden you go okay all right i get it i get it now all of a sudden it changed and then i wanted to see more of him which is obviously by that time in the in the movie it's a uh, with 20 minutes left it's too late but he turned it for me because all of a sudden he portrayed this different there was a different persona well, 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 well there's an earlier section too where we get more background to him as uh, as him and angelica lee have some dialogue together we, 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 which intrigued me enough because uh we, we don't know that much about him as as a barrister you know he he's emotionless for for a reason but whether that's a bad or a good reason and I thought I saw signs of Ekin being very confident in the little he's meant to do, and especially in the uh, scene in the bed where they talk together, and he seems burdened. He, uh, mm. he seems like he's in a cycle he doesn't like. There, Benny... Okay, the moments aren't designed to be melodramatic moments, but Benny isn't overstating it with emotion, like, I'm gonna hold a speech now about how I feel, because that character probably needs to maintain an exterior despite him 
being burdened with having to i mean it's earlier in the movie so he the burden is that he has to defend people that he thinks are guilty but it's his job to to be a defense attorney or whatever that that made me intrigued for for the mystery that added to the solid grade of the film that then comes together fairly well and we understand it like coherence i mentioned coherency coherency pretty much gets gets a pass by the end without overstating matters either and 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 he solves the mystery and he conclude, concludes it you know uh, a bit too much theatrical <laughs> acting towards the end but you know it's movies so it's, well, sometimes yeah true. exactly and you can forgive him and all of a sudden so for me and it came all of a sudden it came together you know and literally is by the end and stuff and you go okay but it did come together for me and i you know i appreciate it and then i appreciated you know ekin for his performance throughout the movie because all of a sudden i was like oh okay and the penny drops but i tend to do that with films anyway i'm always getting told was it because uh, his character was being fleshed out and we found out more about him yeah yeah and i get sometimes what did you not see that coming well no i didn't see that coming because you know i'm enjoying the film and i let it and as i as i do and i've always said i let it wash over me and stuff um rather than anything else yeah okay i know we focus on ekin because that's what we're doing at the moment so it's a little bit different but you know i tend not to think about things too much i just watch and so therefore it was it was good and i enjoyed it and i enjoyed that ride and then all of a sudden i enjoyed ekin's performance um, even more because then i understood it because of the character and the arc and what he was doing so therefore and that's why it's such a good film because there are surprises within there and right at the end there's even more but yeah, it, it gives you that. It gives you the whole bundle. There's a lot going on in this movie, and it absolutely, you know, it's it it is it is recommended for for all of those reasons and the melodrama and the Daniel's performance and Ekin's performance and yeah, they all do a job that's asked of them. Yes, we wished it could be um, better than it was, and it could have been, but you know what? It's still a damn fine, damn fine film. Um, what, what I forgot to mention, by the way, uh, sort of a fourth performance to single out. I think Eric Tsang is really good in this movie. He he uh, he's good at as a, a fellow uh, fellow cop to talk Aaron Kwok's Shun down from the sort of psychological ledge and just tells it to him straight that sort of snap snap out of it. And Eric is just good, especially at this point, having infernal affairs behind it, but many dramatic performances anyway. He's just good at coming in and delivering Eric Tsang solid dramatic stuff because it's not a comedic role obviously and uh, it looks great on him to play you know a, a veteran officer of some kind or uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed those exchanges between um, eric and aaron uh, so uh, because he because he doesn't he, he doesn't get mentioned when necessarily when, when talking off the movie because it's a, like a free four scene cameo but eric is um uh, is pretty great and uh, the the purpose of that character i thought was uh, was well sort of injected in the movie. Isn't it great that we've been able to distance ourselves easily from Eric Sang's comedic pe- uh, persona? Because I, I bet back in the day you didn't see that this guy is going to be believable as a dramatic actor or a bad guy because it's he seems like he's destined for comedy. And isn't it great that he was able to overcome that? And I love that. I love that with, you know, actors that... that that do that and, and suddenly term i know um you know god bless him robin williams did it so so very well 
but um yeah i love i love actors that that do that because you you just don't see it coming and then they have these fucking acting chops on them you go oh my god and every does that every time and you know it's brilliant and you're right we should give him a mention because he uh he has got some um poignant scenes and brings it down and shows uh shows uh aaron up in a couple of scenes so it's done damn it yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right any other notes from you um no, no, that was it. Like I say, yeah, it's it's worth worth the journey. Um, the end, it all comes together. Um, it, it's uh, like I say, Daniel is a standout performance uh, from me um, for for all the right reasons. And like I say, and you should check it out. And they all get a pause, including Ikin. I think. Yeah. yeah that's. Uh, I mean, and if you feel motivated to do a second viewing, then then you know the uh, purpose and structure of his performance in the early stages and in the latter stages so maybe it will be enhanced who knows but, um. as for availability of divergence uh, cheap dvd options are available in the uk the momentum asia dvd still exists uh, for instance uh, cheaply on the amazon marketplace um, but if you want to go the high def uh, route you can in hong kong there is a region a coded blu-ray and that is um, still available but uh, i went with uh, the cheaper option for uh, uh, for the show it didn't look that hot uh, in terms of a dvd but uh, you know uh, for, for for four or five pounds delivered to sweden for for the uh, for the work purposes and all of that is obviously perfectly fine it's got some subtitled um, uh, supplemental features as well that uh, uk dvd from momentum so uh, and there, there is an american dvd to uh, a special edition from from someone so you can probably get that uh, they, it's one of those dvds where they have daniel wu front and center with a big gun and the momentum <laughs> age you know foreground gun <laughs> uh, and the momentum asia dvd has the original poster art of the free so let's take a musical break and after that we'll go into uh, possibly our first uh, or maybe even uh, possibly Eakin's first uh, horror movie we fast forward to 2008 and the movie rule number one uh, it's a Hong Kong movie a Cantonese language movie but uh, it's a co-production with Singapore and it's directed by a Singaporean director called Kelvin Tong and we'll talk a little bit about him and the movie after the musical break And welcome back in the second review of this Eken Hour bumper pack finale is rule number one from 2008. Uh, it's a horror movie and plot from my review of the film, uh, Senseless Killings of Innocence. So Innocent, uh, Bus Riders opens the film and then we cut to a flashback where we see cop Lee Kwok Kung, played by Sean Yu, stop a driver who has not fastened his seatbelt. Noticing that his headlight is out as well and that blood is visible on the car, Lee has in fact stumbled upon a serial killer that viciously starts to torture him by shooting Lee in his arms, legs and feet. As he's down and out, uh, Lee sees the murdered girl in the trunk rise up and this also gives him a chance to take out the killer. He's uh, rehabilitated, uh, um, a number of months pass I suppose, and he sticks to his supernatural story. Uh, Lee is assigned, therefore, to the Miscellaneous Affairs Department. And that spells M-A-D, mad. And uh, 
the one who's going to work for it is Inspector Wong, played by Ikin Cheng, who soon has to explain their government-supported mission is to stop ghosts from possessing humans, even if it means the murder of the innocents that the ghosts take over or leave behind as the victims uh, become uh, shells anyway. So that's the sort of chilling setup of it all, of rule number one. It is directed by Singapore's Kelvin Tong. He graduated and practiced law initially uh, in his life, but then leaned towards film business, uh, or film writing anyway, writing for The Straits Times from the mid-90s until 1999. He also uh, indulged in some creativity uh, by making, instead of just writing about movies, he made a short movie in 1996 called Movable Feast, and in 1999 uh, made his debut feature, uh, which was a co-direct adventure. And that movie was called Eating Air, which was about, uh, it was like a gangster and romance genre mashup. It was received fairly well, but it was his uh, 2005 horror movie The Maid in Singapore that got uh, the most attention of his career so far. It became a record breaker at the Singapore box office uh, for the horror genre and was awarded at the 10th Puchon International Fantastic Film Festival. A Love Story followed, which was produced by Andy Lau's Focus Films. Um, I watched it based on the fact that I've seen rule number one. And it was a rather messy, arty assault on the senses that I didn't think came together very very well, personally. Uh, he switched back uh, to horror, but in a playful manner, in uh, 2007 with the movie Men in White. They, this examined the uh, Singaporean obsession with uh, superstition, among other things. And in 2008 came the horror movie, rule number one. Co-produced between Hong Kong and Singapore, it went on to win the best actor prize which was actually shared between Ikin Cheng and Sean Yu at the Puchon International Fantastic Film Festival and, and and at the Singapore International Film Festival it was recognized as best Singapore film. And uh, Kelvin Tong, the director, has expressed influences being as diverse as you know, he he has quoted uh, Lars von Trier as an influence the director of Dogville and Antichrist as well as Stephen Chow. So, you know, he mixes uh, moods, I suppose. And he talked uh, the year before making rule number one that he was, he was still learning his craft, saying, quote, that it's, it's one thing to talk about films as a journalist, but it is fascinating that many of the decisions that make a difference between a good and bad film are made in front of a monitor, often in a fraction of a second which was a, is a level-headed way of uh, looking at things. Uh, Kelvin's brother, Leon Tong, actually runs his own production company, and they're, they're attached to, to this movie, Boko Films, and uh, it has allowed Kelvin to pursue projects as an independent, uh, too. Uh, and if we fast forward to 2016, uh, Tong became the first Singaporean director to make a Hollywood film, and it was set in Singapore, partly. Uh, this was the horror project The Faith of Anna Waters, and it was uh, ultimately released in America as The Offering. It was wasn't well re- reviewed even though Kelvin shrugged it off saying I'm used to this so it uh, really didn't bother him bother him personally uh, I, I haven't seen that one but um, but yeah uh, it had a pretty low score if you go by uh, online scores or whatever but I'm sure you can find it uh, at um, like in a minute on uh, the streaming services iTunes and digital and all of that so the offering or the faith of Anna Waters so that's uh, Kelvin. That's rule number one for you. Let's uh, move into some short opinions of this movie. So let me hand, uh, hand it over to you first. Uh, rule number one. What did you think in short of it? Um, this is my second viewing of it because um, it'd been a long time ago um, since I watched it. It was probably around about kind of nine years ago, I guess. Um, so, um, but I'd forgotten most of it, which is surprising because I I really enjoyed this movie. You know, again, 
Ekin gets a gets a big pass on this one. Big Ekin, because he's a little bit fatter. Yes, he's a little bit. Oh my god, two two films we like. I like him in both on the same podcast. My god, can we go for three? We'll find out later. But two out of two so far. Yeah, great. I love this performance in in this film, and I do like this film. Yes, in, in its totality. Maybe it's somewhat of a, a missed opportunity, but you know, for what it is, I, I still love it. And it's a great premise um, idea of a film. And I love the performances in it. There's there's so much to be, uh, yeah, there's so much to load up in this film. So, uh, yeah, it's a big plus for me. Mm, I agree very much. And uh, I mean, if you look at the 2000s, uh, horror was so much in the air. I mean, it, it didn't really let Asia go, despite Ring Ringu being um, 10 years old or 8 years old uh, by the point uh, rule number 1 came out and I mean that that influence stretched itself everywhere including to Hong Kong but Hong Kong had their fine makers such as uh, the Pang Brothers who made the eye and, and the reason I'm talking about this is that you know even if an industry is stuck in a trend or horror tropes I mean, if you make a good genre movie you're golden and I think that's what Kelvin Tong certainly did he gets easily past imagery that looks like images that are on repeat for the eighth time that week in cinemas. He gets past that easily. He uses a neat sort of X-Files body movie-esque setup uh, uh, without it being too comedic though. It's a pretty serious film. And uh, the, the performers are good. They're good together and there's genuine fright here. There's genuinely scary aftermaths and implications of this scenario. Um, and I, I, I really thought that was effective back then and it has uh, survived. The movie opens uh, in, in a way where you know it's gonna set itself up with no context so it's uh and it doesn't even bother with the fact that let's give our leading man a like nice big establishing shot no sean you pops into screen shoots a woman (laughs) then then we have to find that context out uh, later so it's a really nice setup that uh, the movie isn't gonna well there's no way to say the movie isn't gonna fuck around no, it isn't. And he grabs your attention, doesn't it? Because, like, you're wow. You're like, oh, my God, did he just shoot? He, sh- he shot her. I, I want to know more. Bam, you've just hooked the audience right from the opening scene. Thank you very much. And then we don't get that for, like, 20, 30 minutes, the explanation, because then Tong really demonstrates a good sense of how to elongate tension in terms of how when Sean Yu stops the driver you know and and we get all those beats that leads up to him being shot and you know you you talked about a fine balance between elements and I'm sure encountering such an over-the-top sadistic villain could have gone so wrong but I thought it was genuinely scary because he's um, he looks like this you know timid office man just trying to get home and then he has this in him and I thought he Tong walked that balance really well and made us feel scared for the fact that it's not only a serial killer but it's a serial killer that enjoys what he's doing tremendously brilliantly done because like i say you just well you hugged from the moment of the opening scene but that scene in itself is like a finale it's like the big piece you'd stick at the end of the film and they actually stick it at the beginning and it just draws you in even more into this character and you, you want to understand what's going on. Um, but obviously it sets it up quite nicely because obviously the shooting, which is brutal in itself, um, from just like I say, this normal person. Um, but then obviously um, the ghost pops up that you know, he sees and it evolves from there. All of a sudden you're going, okay, this isn't just going to be a straightforward serial killer. There's, there's more to this. So that, that hooks you as well. Was it compelling that uh, Kelvin displays a sense of 
the nasty and brutal because the ghost not only pops up but she uh, te- tears out like flesh from her neck yeah, like exactly and there's a horror element to it so all of a sudden you know you're in for a ride because all of a sudden it's like yeah like you say that horror and it, you know it's horror it comes into the category but it's so well done is that up your uh, is that up your alley that extra sense of gore oh god yeah i my i i love I love horrors. I am going to get into the horrors because of my wife, to be fair. So I hadn't seen a lot of the, the classic movies. So I, I, I spent years catching up with Halloweens and everything. I, I think the only kind of horror I saw as a, as a kid and stuff was like The Fog, which scared the shit out of me as a kid. Brilliant, brilliant film, and I love that film. Um, but I, I stayed away from because I didn't – I like roller coaster rides. I'll get on one, but I, I don't like the ride. It scares you, but the, there's an element of – of that with with horror films so i spent years avoiding them because they didn't really excite me because i never got them but um then my god did i ever a catch up on films it's like discovering eastern films and getting into like you know jackie chan and all that and stuff soon as i discovered it i wanted to discover all of them and it was the same with that genre of film horror once i discovered it again in later years i, I watched everything so i love a good horror difficult to come by these days and this one is perfect because it's kind of that horror slash thriller and it really didn't feel like at all after a short while that these have recycled elements it really felt oddly fresh it did uh, exactly like yeah, yeah because a lot of these things are and i'm sure kelvin's own script uh, is very familiar with the fact that well i'm not doing anything particularly new but um i, I have a little uh, cool scenario here and um, you know mixing mixing uh, vx files and the body movie but without it make it without it being action an action comedy at the same time so uh, i guess the only piece of comedy he does is that odd joke about the constantly eating faceless superior and and i get i, I don't know what this is about I, it's either that a superior like that is so powerful that he just can't get enough of for what can be delivered to him so nom 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 and then like this <laughs> close-up of his i just expected it to be some big actor at the end they reveal his face and it'd be somebody i thought it was quite cool i remember so I when me and Stu watched the movie for like a we did an audio commentary for charity purposes on the network it's in in the archives it's going to be released very very much later on it was like an unprepared commentary but I remember he said that i was just waiting for the fact that it's anthony wong yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it just well, wait, i was waiting for the big reveal and stuff you know if they'd um, done another one or carried on and stuff you could have had that and then eventually they reveal it and stuff you know like a series it'd make a cracking series you could have it like revealed at like the final episode or something, and it would you know be some actor, not look anything like the, the chin and mouth it was. They just put somebody random in, um, but um, yeah, it was quite. I, I quite like it. It was quite quirky and stuff, and it was not nice. It, it's nice to see uh, filmmakers do something that's completely. It, some some would say odd, but actually it works with this because the type of film that is anyway. And it works quite well. It's quite quirky in that sense. And I like different films like this because it's not the norm and it's mixing genres. And it, like you say, it, it's original um, and he's made it original. Um, and that's what I love. But, you know, Ekin steps in, and, you know, 20 minutes into this film. You yeah, don't see. it takes a while. He, um, he um, you know, b- before Kelvin is actually navigating almost gleefully, 
the horror tropes of like he, he has shown you walking through hallways with flickering flickering fluorescence there's yeah, constant yeah. <laughs> rain and shit so it, it's horror movie bingo but it, it's rather mm. delightful and like this basement department that the government doesn't care about like bingo we've heard that before it's uh, really the x-files for me even though Ekin isn't you know the fox Mulder copy or anything because he he initially he says what his official mission is that that he's not a believer and uh, the rule number one of it all is there ain't no ghosts there ain't no ghosts so, but uh, he enters like almost uh, using his booming voice in the dark like boom I'm here like, and starts I'm gonna start talking now loudly and drink and smoke and uh, got my beige trench coat on but he's not designed as to be this smooth smoking 40s detective or anything no he's um sort of a mess and i guess that leads a slope a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and it leads me to a question that we you know he's a handsome man so do you think it's convincing that he can lose himself in a detective role like this where vanity is out the window a little bit do you think that looks good on him you know what he does he just goes to prove over this that you know he can take that and he can take that role and he can deliver that and, and he does with this film and he carries it well he carries it very well. And sometimes, I guess, as actors and method actors, and, you know, there are those out there that go to extremes. You know, I know Christian Bale is one of those and stuff. But And he works well, and sometimes it works well for you. But he does in this. You know, he, he pulled on the pounds, obviously. Um, they let him uh, eat as much as he wants and smoke as much as he wants. And it suits him, and it suits him for this character. And, he, you know, and he, he's believable right from, right from the start because you believe this character and the the journey that you're about to take. He's been at it for a little while. And uh, yeah. I mean, it almost looks like the direction was to look newly woken up in most scenes, but that actually works quite a bit. That, yeah. is, that is not like t- totally with it at, at all times, but uh, he, is, uh, he is also sharp because he knows his uh, mission. And um, there's even, you know, almost Im- ambiguous little subplots about not his relationship with, a, with an unnamed delivery girl, but that he finds that joyous that that's a little bright spot in his life and he's he's not above neither the character or the actor to dance with an inflatable dinosaur while smoking so it's uh can we, can we come back to the inflatable dinosaur i mean why come on i didn't i couldn't after when you've seen the film and stuff and afterwards you kind of you can forget about it but at the time i was like no don't that no you're dancing <laughs> with an inflatable dinosaur I thought it, was no. fun. it was a step out of the really I mean, it connects to the fact that he used to dance with his wife. So this is as close as he's going to get to his wife. That's a man. He smokes and he dances with a dinosaur, damn it. That's a man's man. <laughs> it's a man's man. Like, uh, I'd, like, I'd like to see you do that as well, Phil. Yeah, well, you know, you buy me enough drinks, I'll dance with anything. It's true. But it, it, it's a little uh, quirky aside that um, doesn't dominate the film. So the thing is genuinely scary too chilling too because you lead into these images of uh, the suicides where a little girl for instance she hangs herself on, on a rooftop and she she loves it she says it's fun so exactly because you go from that dinosaur dancing scene funnily enough to that so you know you go from this joyfulness kind of thing and quirkiness to all of a sudden this suicide so it isn't it horror in the fact of like scary horror there is some build-up um in later scenes but not so much that it's more of a, a psychological 
journey, I guess, from from that point of view, but not a straight out horror as you would, you know, um, Chainsaw Massacre kind of thing. It's a it's a slow ebbing kind of flow towards where they want to get to with the ghosts, etc., and stuff. So. Because we don't know at that point why that girl is committing suicide, nor nor why she's. Uh, uh, having a bit of a laugh about it like this is fun yeah this is fun. And, and she doesn't hang herself in a traditional way she literally she strangles herself and then pulls her feet up off the ground and then keeps keeps them up so it's not like she could she could have reached the ground but at that point she chooses not to because this is fun and i thought that that was a chilling image and even more so when we get the full sort of context why that was even um even presence, uh, present, you know. Exactly, and you you, you you found the word I was searching for, chilling, that's what it is, it's chilling, it chills you in places. I mean, it, I mean it's not above either Kelvin Tong to push for like the audio-visual experience, but I, I think that's rather effective, because if you look at the sort of the two scenes in the pool hall that, that just have these shrieks and shrill sounds that you think is due to one thing but maybe is due to another thing and I, I thought in other horror movies that could just be cheap startles and cheap sort of like this is what other horror movies do, do right but by this point in road number one feel a lot a lot of things felt, felt fresh including that thing and and, and also on the on, on on the theme of that uh, return to that swimming pool uh, the, the fact that Kelvin Tong has written the fact that, well, that explanation why there's even creepy sounds in that hall, uh, there's possibly another explanation that is, you know, beyond the rational, uh, beyond the natural. And it really does freak us out with those shrill sound effects and the quick-cut imagery of the little kids. And at one point, I don't know if you noticed this, it's fairly fairly hidden, certainly doesn't draw attention to itself he's talking with the you know the janitor or whatever at one point in his second visit to the pool hall and there's someone swimming in the background not a visitor of any kind because they're close by that point but you see it for like a second and a half maybe two and there's someone swimming and that those were like further confirmations that boom is doing it boom is doing it these are intriguing images like he's um He's got a handle on, on this horror stuff that uh, most directors don't. And God knows the newer horror movies get, the more sort of uh, less interested I get. Because um, I'm, I'm more of, I, I like my older stuff and how that felt and how effective yeah, that Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, I've discussed about I caught up on, you know, other movies kind of 20 years ago. So I was late to the genre stuff, caught up on everything is brilliant. But you know, you hark back to those days. They're few and far between, and we watch everything that comes out, more or less. There's very few that, um, well, that kind of scare you anyway, but have that impact. Or, um, But I do remember we watched this one together, um, both and enjoyed it because of that. And there are some, you know, kind of, you know, chilling scenes and stuff. There are some bloody scenes in him and stuff, but, you know, it keeps up a pace, and he, and he so delivers from a story point of view. And, you know, and Sean, for you know all the bad press that I get, I think he's had occasionally, delivers it really well. He's he's a he's an actor that I think had had to work a lot to yeah, finally yeah. achieve praise. I always liked him in general, but he never stood out as such at all times. I mean, I haven't seen Mad World yet, but that that's the movie where people really 
uh, praised him with uh, the drama Mad World, where he co-stars with Eric Tsang. It's like two or three years old at this point, but he, he's an actor that's been at it for since the early 2000s and um, yeah, yeah. still tries to develop his craft. I mean, here is a uh, he's soft-spoken as a character, and I think they hint at the fact that he's suffering from from this obsession possibly caused by PTSD and who knows if he even saw something supernatural initially because he was you know shot like five times at that point so uh, you know his obsession with ghosts and the supernatural is him almost walking around certain uh, settings in the days it's a little subtle intriguing thread but uh, you talked of you know blood and, and gore and all of that and that affects work but uh kelvin and crew take on the challenge of um, depicting the human you know the ghost jumping between humans to human that infection and that requires a fair amount of um, of uh, computer generated uh, work and all of that so and this is a 2008 movie so it's a fairly old so how, how did you think that worked for you when the movie goes high concept as as the because I, I, at one point someone evaporates into black dust and then into another human and that person has uh, you know uh, uh, no uh, like their eyes turn white and all of that so yeah exactly and he's, it, it was it was believable there was no oh god this is a bit wonky you know you believed it you were I think at that point as well you're so engrossed with the story you kind of want to understand how this happens how did they become to be that and stuff so. You know, from from that point of view, it works really well. I I liked it. Yeah, there's a whole, you know, the eyes turn white and stuff. And, you know, we've seen it a million times. But it's believable in this, you know. It's not um, over-dramatized. I quite enjoyed, like, the kind of transformation. Um, It didn't, you know, it didn't deter from the film. And like you say, this is a character-driven film. This is, the chills are based on on them as the actors going through that and stuff. And those moments when they do have to inject kind of the... uh, FX works really well. It, I, I thought it looked, to be honest, and maybe it is due to to the fact that you're engaged in the story. I thought, thought it looked seamless because you have to make your choices CG-wise, not just put the latest and brightest tech in front of us to impress us. You have to make, you know, even um, minor choices in terms of what CG to do. And that, that sort of human to CG black dust, I thought was totally convincing and and especially since we now have the reveal it, it, it's not an end reveal but a reveal that from Ikin in that monologue that our official image is one thing but our task is another thing and as he lays all that out we, we, while he's drinking and smoking but it's a monologue nonetheless Ikin gets to display it's not award-winning acting to be honest but he gets to display different frequencies because he, he's kind of charming and he's smiling about it but it's also you know he tends to display intensity and anger too and uh he's even comfortable uh you know with the emotional moments in the you know in climactic moments in action moments you know for a movie to sort of get you like pumped you know you need to get these elements combined and for for instance when you know he can say like shooter shooter don't don't let her touch you shooter i'm so jaded that i don't get excited by such things that often but when I do, it's I I become like a kid again. Like the it's the action movie beats here. Yeah. Yes, it's horror, but they you know it's the it, it's the, it's the sort of thriller action movie beats, and that works splendidly. And then you have to have your actors on board to make those moments, uh, you know, m- make us grasp our chairs almost during those moments. And I think Kelvin is really good at communicating that to his actors, and then he gets Ekin um, to appear very comfortable in whatever frequency his performance. Uh, requires and i love the best moment in the film for me is during that monologue 
after their first big encounter with the ghost hopping that i think the writing turns rather delightful because they, they talk about the fact that there would be a price to pay if we would share this information if this would be official information mm. that out there are ghosts and they are jumping from humans to humans because th- this would have an actual effect on society uh, people would stop doing things uh, uh stock market would be affected <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, and, and i mean it, it, it sounds daft but i really thought that was yeah, that probably would just freak everybody out. You know, if people would just stay, stay in and board up their homes uh, for for fear of this. I'm jealous of the fact that that sounds like a simple story, uh, sort of beat to inject into the movie. But I just, I still saw the sort of words flash before me that I think this feels fresh, at least in combination with all of this. And I like the angle to that story that uh, this is real and is also dangerous. So it's not just a world inhabited by ghosts that don't know they're dead and can't move on which is the sort of melancholia of it all but it's also it can be inhabited by ghosts that uh, they you know there were humans that are now dead deservedly so but they found a way not to move on and they're gonna have fun with it <laughs> and that's scary man that, that they're un- unstoppable and this is and this is this is why the film is so good because again you that scene there was good and because obviously you know, Aiken's going shooter, shooter and stuff. But obviously, Sean's like backpedaling on his heels to get away and stuff. And the shock and, and horror on his face is all to see. And then you go into that monologue from Aiken that all of a sudden catapults him into... And he was, he's good in the movie anyway, but all of a sudden he delivers that as, as an actor and he delivers that and it's believable. And this is why Aiken's so good in this film because he... He, he dives from, you know, a scene that's, you know, action-orientated to a monologue like that, the scene afterwards where all of a sudden, you know, he's riding around on a bike with, the, you know, the takeaway girl and stuff. So there's different levels of what he has to portray in the film and stuff, and that's why you, and that's why it works so well as a film, and that's why he um, all of a sudden shines, um, especially in, in this film, Freaking, because... He, he can portray that character and the different levels of that character that he has to, you know, with, with what he's told to do. So, you know. We, and like without it being like a pasted-on image upon a pop, yeah, exactly. pop star. Like it feels like it's his role to grasp, but yeah. he, he does so. and it's his role. It's exactly, exactly that. And it's his role and he made it his role. That, that you know, you wouldn't see anybody else playing that role. He made it, he made it his um, by doing that. And, you know, that's what I loved about this film as well was both the central characters and their performances you know made it uh, Robert, I'm, I'm i'm really happy that this was his role because um it um someone i like who can add versatility to his or her uh, roster is something that delights me and it still does even though Aiken has moved on and has done good things uh, since then he's still he's still avail- uh, developing and obviously Sean as well non-spoilery notes I'm, I'm going to keep this very vague but the, the, there's a pretty incredible sequence set at a girls school that you know it's a s- standout sequence and um, I'm going to keep it very vague other than it, it's the sensitivity that got to me that uh, girls are being victims and mm. uh, also you know we, we set up the rules that this department have been granted you know, a license to kill because they need to to stop uh, any you know any escalation in this virus, and you know you need to be a cold bastard to just shoot without hesitation in terms of anyone. But th- these are girls. That that's edge of your seat 
stuff and it's pretty devastating and powerful the the death toll that this ghost leaves behind and the movie certainly pushes the cruelness and the bleak nature of it all but i, I think kelvin he isn't cynical to the point where he's just pushing for the sake of pushing this is the scenario that he decided to make it needs to be frightening you need to make your villain nearly unstoppable these are the buttons i will push and uh, it does it feels very competent and very confident the way he pushes it and, and also he increases the pace to the last half really well you know as these two characters just try to catch up to death it's a thrill ride but it, it it doesn't mean that it's not scary but it is because it is pretty much scary and, and you also care enough about these two characters that you don't want them to end up in harm's way and things like that no so. exactly and he's clever by coming because if you look at it and stuff you know from sean's point of view and as that other scene depicted when he said shoot shoot and shoot and he hesitates and stuff a hesitation for not shooting someone leads to you know obviously and what happens to these the victims of this ghost kind of thing if you don't shoot and that's portrayed really well and that's you know very meaningful towards the end of the film when you know you have to shoot someone kind of thing it's 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 poignant and it's clever and it's clever storytelling because they're, they're, they're telling the story within the story. You get to that point um, because, you know, you have to shoot these ghosts. You know, you've been given license to kill and it all comes kind of full circle. And the melancholia of it all doesn't lead to mel- melodrama. What One moment I can talk of, one I can't. Like the, the one I can't is uh, one of the final uh, moments of the film the final images imager of the film uh, uh, just to remind you it involves Ikin Cheng and actress uh, Stephanie Che yeah. uh, but an earlier moment which I thought was really moving was that Sean Yu by this point his character has recognized that th- th- this world is inhabited by by sad ghosts that don't know they're still walking the earth and they don't know how to move on so he goes back to the old folks home and places a functioning uh, television there so that the old granny ghost can watch tv because she because she can't move on and i thought that was rather uh, it's a non-verbal scene it's not like here i am with the tv where do you want it uh i'll put it right there i'll wait for the ghost hello ghost you have a tv now it it was not overstated uh, like that as um he, he gets a little bit of melancholia into it all arguably that that can be sort of a peaceful aura to the film as well like, like an acceptance that not all will pass on and understand that you need to pass on some will just walk in the alleyways that they inhabited before or around the same neighborhood that they inhabited before or um, the, the same room that they did and they, they will they will never understand so just give them uh, you know the eternal comfort i suppose uh, um and that is well done to uh to, to get that in there without stopping the movie to explain that i'm doing this right now drama <laughs> uh so i i i i really thought it held up really well and um and um well deserved shared acting price uh, you know why not award the body duo duo like they do like they did the, that film festival so full marks really um uh, still an effective movie so I'll, I'll I'll conclude my notes right there. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you if you want to say anything else. Um, the final uh, there's a there's a monologue towards the end and stuff where they're discussing who's going to walk through the door, so to speak, if they shoot them. Um, and and he goes through. He, he mentions Bruce Lee. <laughs> sure mentions Bruce Lee as one of the people that go through the door. But they're surmising, well, if it's a priest, what would happen when they get to heaven if they shoot them? It is brilliantly done. 
Um, like they're, they're kind of coming up with, well, you know, whoever walks through the door, there's a reason why they won't mind being shut. It's uh, it's clever and it's a nice little rift between the two. And that's but, but what if it's Bruce Lee? Well, he's already dead. So what say, what sense does that make? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And the move on, but it's a nice moment between the two and stuff, and and the, the chilling, the horror factor. There's nice. There's that rapport all of a sudden. Before, kind of before the well, it was before the finale. You, you know what, what? What delighted me most was the fact that you might have, not you, but as a viewer, you might have been on the fence in terms of are, are these two actors working well together? And they have that scene towards almost the very end, where okay, we're gonna we're, we're gonna try and define things here, and they certainly do uh, before do. it kicks Yeah, out. and they solidify it. That that that's you know just they top it all off. Thank you very much. Let's finish it with brilliant, you know, fair play to them. And I, I, I love that. You know, I I know I'm action orientated. Oh, I think of the action. Why do you think that? But I love that scene. You know, that just that, that the two actors just balancing that. But it's 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 meaningful. It's well written, and it and it's nice to have. It didn't have to be there, but they you know they kept it, and it's it's great. And um, it's something else to be admired by the film, and you know that's why you should see it. So yeah. As for availability, the Hong Kong DVD by Joy Sales is currently listed as out of stock and is possibly out of print too. And I couldn't find any other DVD listings or or any Blu-ray listings other than a Thai edition. So it's possibly that this was never really released internationally widely, which is a shame because it uh, really deserves to be seen. It came out immediately in Hong Kong when when it was out and to ride that wave of award-winning and it got a distributor, but it hasn't stayed in print as such, which is is a shame. But I hope you can get it, listeners, in some shape or form. That's us uh, for this one. After the break, we wind the series down uh, with a game of badminton. No, not between us. I mean, yeah, I, on, I wouldn't yeah. mind, like, but it wouldn't play well on a podcast. Like, thump, 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 thump. Yeah, But it's rather reformed triads playing badminton on film, including Ekin Chang's character. And it's full strike and full disclosure. It's been reviewed on the network, but I merely sat in on the review as a moderator and didn't discuss it myself, nor watched it. We had a little series in the past called The Dynasty Report, where... Paul Fox and David Lamb, in this case, uh, reported on, uh, at that time, a fairly new movie, and this was Full Strike. So I, I, I sat in on as moderator, but uh, I didn't watch it until uh, a year or two later. So that, the, this is why it's being brought back, because um, uh, neither me or Phil have uh, given our take on the movie. But uh, that's the finale, uh, for, for, for finale review, final review, and then uh, obviously we'll uh, do a little check back uh, during this nine review series, what we thought of. Uh, everything uh, what score we gave it was it eking or raking going back to return to a better tomorrow and up to full strike well we'll summarize it for you and then the moment comes where we disclose our uh, our final final score so it's eking eking is eking eking or raking and again this won't affect him in any way personally <laughs> it might do but it's official nonetheless damn it I, I mean Paul and Tam you've seen him he was, he was horrified he was horrified Team Sam, Team Sam. Yep, well, uh, that's uh, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> it is. After we we the, the, the sort of uh, the, the commanding presences on the podcasting uh, platforms said our bit, and that that's what you get in the end. <laughs> uh, you, you got a mixture of we like you and we don't like you. So 
Yeah, but uh, we'll take a musical break, and uh, after that, we'll be back to discuss Full Strike. So um, bring your bring your badminton paddles or rackets or whatever, and uh, prepare uh, during the musical break for for badminton. So here we go. And welcome back, and it is the final review of the Ikin Hour series and the third review of this episode, and it is 2015's Full Strike, not First Strike, as I tend to somehow just lean, lean into. It's First Strike from 2015. Nope, it's Full Strike. First Strike was then. This is four years ago. Uh, but uh, anyway, plot from the Love HK film review of the film goes as follows. Uh, Josie Ho stars as M. Sao Kao, aka Beast, the former queen of Hong Kong badminton, who fell from grace after her violent temper tanked her career. Years later, Kao is a broken, overweight employee for her brother, played by Tse Kwan Ho, who runs a restaurant and nightly berates her for her dazed attitude and temperamental outbursts. Kao is at rock bottom. But everything changes after she sees a meteorite shaped like a badminton shuttlecock. Afterwards, she encounters a homeless person who she believes to be an alien, and finally ends up at a rundown school operated by a trio of violent ex-criminals looking to regain their pride by playing badminton. Cao's initial meeting with ex-con Lao Dan, played by Ikin Cheng, and his gang, consisting of Lam Chu, played by Edmund Leung, and Ma Kun, played by Wilfred Lau, that meeting involves a lot of screaming and psychotic behavior, and the whole thing is exasperated by their perpetually drunk coach, Master Champion Chick, played by Andrew Lam, who chases people while brandishing two large cleavers. And speaks English a lot of the time as well. Cow, uh, Josie Ho's character, rightfully wants nothing to do with this bunch, but the property for the school was coincidentally leased to the ex-cons by Cow's family. Cow's brother and her cousin, Suck Nipple Chung, played by Ronald Cheng, that, that is his name. I wonder if that is a Cantonese pun that is simply can't be translated in any other way into English. But Suck Nipple Cheng, played by Ronald Cheng, fear that the ex-cons plan further crimes, so they don't believe in any reformation. So they send Cow and Grandma Moy undercover at the school to root out any nefarious plans. But she sort of... Uh, she rejects that, so uh, because at the same time, Josie Ho's character finds the urge to play badminton again. She feels that urge swelling inside her, so going to a school populated by psychotic badminton players may actually be fortuitous. So there it is, first strike. I can hear, feel sort of like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> amusing, <laughs> uh, because he's seen the film, and uh, maybe he has a positive, uh, uh, positive outlook on uh, at least the setup of it. We'll get to that. This movie is co-directed by Derek Kwok and Henry Wong, and the former, Derek, uh, he got good notices for his debut feature, The Pie Dog, in 2007, starring Ethan Chan as a triad going into a school to kidnap the son of a rival. Winning both an uh, acting award for veteran uh, Su Yam Yam, uh, which is the grandmother of the team here in uh, Full Strike, Susan Shaw, 
and uh, Kwok himself earned a Best New Director nomination. It also featured an appearance and song fill by George Lamb. So uh, that was nice to see him back. It's not a big role, hardly a supporting role, but he plays a part of the narrative, uh, the serious narrative. Uh, actually, Derek Kwok was still considered new by his second feature, of Moss, maybe the year after, and that won him his first Hong Kong Film Award as new director. Fast forwarding to 2010, possibly Derek's most adored picture, uh, Gallants, uh, was out and that was co-directed with Clement Cheng. And that showed both a playful side, but also a respect and adoration for martial arts cinema and its performers uh, of old, its icons of old, really. And it featured a veteran cast such as Chen Quan Tai, Bruce Leung, Teddy Robin and Michael Chan and that film I think uh, it was a um, sort of an upset that year that it uh, went on to win best picture at the Hong Kong Film Awards uh, as well as statues for best supporting actor and score and the funny thing is same person received those statues best supporting actor went to Teddy Robin and best score went to Teddy Robin because he is a musician and an actor as uh, Hong Kong cinema fans might know let me stop you right there any spontaneous uh, memories of Gallants because even though it might not have been like it's a brand new kung fu hard ass hardcore movie it might not have been advertised as such but I, I gather you have a nose for these things so I gather you sniffed out the fact that well these guys are in this movie and it's sort of a comedy tribute thing or what's your memory of Gallants? Exactly and it, it was kind of picked up, it had some good good buzz and I, I picked it up and my memories were um, directionally as well, it was um, sharp and there's, there's some, we'll come on to that in a bit, um, with, with the same with this film, it was a great bit of uh, cinema, I can understand why it got the plaudits and stuff because the cast they nailed it obviously, um, there were some great scenes, it was a fun movie as well, it just, it just encapsulated everything a good like you know kung fu movie kind of thing should be to a certain extent and he had a great little kind of rift because obviously the older guys were there and stuff and they were kicking ass and taking names and it was uh yeah it was it was a lot of lot of fun so a lot of uh a lot of warmth as well oh yes yeah and you can you can tell that and there's, there's similarities again with um with full strike so yeah I, I remember a bit from the making of where michael chan chan waiman says in his interview that he was so happy to be making movies with his friends again which just sort of melted my heart that is the loveliest thing to say Uh, and and it sort of panned out it was not this like ten dollar production that paid a dollar to these uh, all-time actors uh, who were who were who were desperate Uh, no it was a solid solid warm movie with a sort of uh, I think Teddy Robin runs away with the movie and uh, right rightfully so as uh, as opposed to master of um, of that movie, the, the, the little grey-haired monster <laughs> of that movie. Uh, so it was all good fun. Uh, Derek has since officially or unofficially, because his credit is on there, co-directed Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons with uh, Stephen Chow, and even helmed his own Monkey King movie in uh, 2017 uh, called Wukong, starring uh, Eddie Peng. It's good, yeah, I saw it. Um, I, I picked it up because I was interested, and um, it's a bit violent as well. It's quite violent. I wasn't expecting it to have that kind of level of violence in Eddie Peng does a really good job. It's it's a different take on it. Yeah, yeah, it's not like it's straight straight journey to the West sort of story beats. If I remember Paul Fox's review correctly, it uh, deals. I don't know if it in alternate events or simply does its own thing, but features Wu Kong as the main character. But it's it, it certainly uh, it's part of I, I suppose Monkey King fatigue uh, in a way. But I'm glad it it 
could stand out though once you gave it a chance, I suppose. So. Yeah, and if people, yeah, it's one of those that I don't think enough people gave it a chance and they should have done because it stand out in its own right and, it, and it's a really good film. If you're an action fan as well, you love it. I, I recommend it. So, yeah. Speaking of Aaron Kwok, by the way, uh, his Monkey King, I enjoyed. Uh, he was uh, the Monkey King after Donnie Yen in, in the Monkey King 2. And I thought Aaron Kwok was uh, was quite funny that, um, in that. And he did it for the third Monkey King as well. So, um, uh, so uh, that's something to uh, look for out there in the output. Uh, the other director of Full Strike, Henry Wong, uh, worked around special effects departments as visual effects supervisor on movies such as Ip Man and Dimension Gallants. Uh, and in fact, Henry and Derek also collaborated on a stop-motion animated film called Batman Dark Nightfall. And they stop-motion animated them using these high-end Hot Toys figures as subjects and this would have been about uh, 2012 you can see this on, on like vimeo and things like that so was it you that bought one of those hot toys but it was a john wick figure just recently or... yeah <laughs> i did actually um just from um john wick uh two it's it's mint it's it's probably my best figure i've got now this back to bruce lee there in the hot toys but it is a pretty uh it is a pretty mean looking um action figure um, he's just uh, he's just above Bruce Lee, Cho Yun Fat, Donnie Yen, and Jet Li. Yeah, he's. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm creating a bit of a collection, bit of a collection. Oh, and Kareem Abdul Jabbar, obviously. Uh, that, he will tower over everyone in that uh, collection. Uh, are these? Uh, I I don't know anything about these things, uh, just because it's not within my interest. I'm not saying I'm above it. It's simply not above my interest. Because, but but I gather these are high end toys, meaning you have to pay a little. You have to pay a, a adult sums for these things. Yeah, it's they're adult toys, and um, you ain't gonna get them from Toys R Us. Um, yeah, you're gonna pay a, a few quid for them. Um, but um, they're worth it. I've got a uh, Stephen Chow from Shaolin Soccer as well. This uh, oh, there's like a bunch of Hong Kong themed as well, and not yeah, just yeah, West yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, very much, very much. So they're 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 my, they're my main focal point as and when, and they do crop up. Like I say, Donnie Yen and um, Jet Li from Once Upon a Time in China. I've got both of those. Um, so they were adversaries. They look they look mint. Um, so they're great. Yeah, it's just, it's just finding them. So yeah, yeah. What about Michael Wong? <laughs> you never know. You never know. He has several points of our. He has several points of articulation. <laughs> he certainly does. There'll be plenty of gift, gift fun for uh, everyone. Exactly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recreate uh, bad soccer from Return to a Better Tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And go out, go and check out uh, Michael One Gifts on Twitter. If people are out there and stuff. Lots of fun to be had on that Twitter account. Uh, but uh, going back to Henry Wong, uh, uh, after that uh, stop-motion animated um, uh, little uh, short, um, Dark Nightfall, uh, he himself went into directing with uh, 2013's Hardcore Comedy, which was an omnibus project co-helmed uh, along with two other directors. And uh, his segment uh, was called Shocking Wet Dream, which uh, Love HK Film um, summarized it as this. Not a glowing review as such, but uh, it is the summarize, uh, they summarized it in the following way a shocking wet dream uh, delivers fun details plus background nudity and multiple masturbation scenes handily earning the film its category free rating there are some laughs in the buttons being pushed but wong's segment is oddly paced and can't weave its naughty gags unlikable characters and romantic self-flagellation i suppose into a consistent whole so Mm -hmm. on its way but not fully there i suppose so 
uh, the full feature full strike followed uh, co-directed with Derek Quark uh, it ranked uh, uh, in terms of box office the 28th um, in terms of the Hong Kong Chinese movies at the local box office that year well behind big hitters such as Ip Man Free Little Big Master and the uh, TV to movie adaptation Triumph in the Skies uh, one acting nomination in Hong Kong followed, uh, but uh, Full Strike did win Best Asian Movie at the uh, Neuchâtel International Fantastic Film Festival. So it got some play outside so and some notices, so that was good. Phil, Full Strike, the final movie of it all, the final leaking movie of it all. Uh, in short, uh, what did you think of this badminton opus? Ken, fuck your tits. That's, that's, <laughs> You're that's, a dumb, that's... fat, lazy cunt, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> in jokes. <laughs> I tell you what, this is uh, there's a hell of a lot of making fun to be had. Uh, I I have to say, um, I w- I was kind of looking forward to this, and and somebody um, very close to me that's on this podcast as well was overjoyed to be reviewing it. Um, I felt, don't trust and, my um, judgment though. Don't trust my judgment. <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, the no, that's last fine. thing. You and I trust. felt the wave of enthusiasm, Ken. I felt the wave Still, of enthusiasm. Don't and, trust me. And I wasn't and I wasn't disappointed in this movie. Um, it is a lot of fun, and sometimes I struggle especially with comedic um, Hong Kong cinema and stuff, because probably the in-jokes sometimes, but this one, it is laugh-out-loud funny as well. There are some brilliant scenes in this. So, yeah, absolutely uh, enjoyed it um, end-to-end. It's a revisit that actually elevated this movie. I I found the very trigger-happy visual style, and it flirts with mood and edge and danger and using colours in terms of its uh, setup uh, I, I found that uneven during first viewing maybe a bit uh, overwhelming but uh, this time it works and uh, all of that that edge that supposed edge then reveals a goofy broad sometimes uh, s- sort of droll comedic sports movie with simply infectious energy and I think he can possibly maybe laugh the most in it um, uh, out of this I mean he, he's got to compete with Ronald Cheng who is a genuine comedic performer of course but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think he can have some uh, some wonderful scenes here uh you know the setup and the early setup uh, you know of tone makes this have an amusing cloud hover over the movie all the time really it's a badminton movie but it's using this visual style and i guess that was my question was that ever sort of overwhelming the way the movie just kept throwing style at you and uh, stuff on the screen and da 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 and comedy drama and sports and shuttlecocks and cgi i loved it you know what it's nice to see some line just artistic impression just the writer you sit down you write it and then you put that to screen and you know what they must have written this out and they just threw everything on the screen and it works it works really well that's praise indeed to to take a concept like this and it sounds bizarre you've got a you know badminton at the heart of this um which is uh you know probably you know not a sport that you would certainly recommend a kind of a film around and if you're going to do it how would you do it and then it is kind of a bizarre kind of way that it's done with gangsters in there with the comedic aspect you know, with with the slapstick humor, with the the colors and the lights, and but he, they capture it. They do it so well. It just hangs together really well because it could have been a bit of a disaster, but it doesn't. And that's testament to obviously the writing and the actors involved in it as well. So yeah, think back on. I don't don't. I know you don't want to, but think back to like fooling around Jang Hu, which was also trying to be 
you know, having whooshy noises and being this audiovisual, right? And it just fell flat as a pa- pancake. Exactly. And yeah. so that shows that, well, you can't just throw everything and that's your work done for you. You have to have a plan. You have to have a vision for these things. Uh, so uh, that's the difference here. Even that uh, annoying DJ from Fooling Around Jiang Hu is briefly in this, uh, Bob Lamb. He appears at he at the sort of TV commercial for the badminton game, and he, oh. it shows him doing like awkward badminton stuff and not doing it very well, and that was funny. <laughs> you know, exactly, so yeah. that's go. the difference. There, it it sort of is a it's not pompous, but it's uh, it's it's loud and sort of overblown in a conscious way because it tell it tells initially the legend of the sport. Of badminton <laughs> yeah. against a Ennio Morricone type of score, and there, it's there's no secret they're fans of Ennio Morricone. Even the wah, 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 from the good, bad, yeah. and the ugly turns up here. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're trying to um, rip off anything. They're, they're simply a fan of the notion of well, put Morricone on anything and it'll work, and uh, <laughs> that's true. But but also the reason why Phil and I were cursing at each other initially was the fact that <laughs> yeah, this, we movie, get back to that. <laughs> this movie is quite profane uh, it wasn't category free so it wasn't enough to earn it uh, free for language or anything even though it seems like yeah, it's pushing the limits for that and I, I, I suppose at the heart it's a redemption story so you have to have a fall and uh, therefore you have people around you Josie Ho in that case in this case that dislike you heavily for being uh, completely useless so it's it's a very rude way to you know to go from the flashback to present day you know Josie Ho as this perfect sports specimen and the narrator says this uh, now she's a fat lazy dumb cunt and you go okay kids um, (laughs) your reading skills are not good right yeah if they are uh, please leave because now this movie (laughs) took its uh, game up to another level this is now profane (laughs) And uh, it's it sort of, as I said to you in private, it sort of spit your tea out profane because you don't expect this movie after having told you about the grand sport of badminton to throw fat, lazy, dumb cunt on you. <laughs> and and it's, it's quite amusing to me that uh, if you're going to push someone down low, then why not push as hard as you can by having people berate her like crazy, including the narrator. So... Uh, so, so it's it's the fallen master it's the fallen master that's now abused and all of that and you and and, and you got your path into the redemption movie Phil which is the could be part of the sports movie so it's not like this is a, a foreign film in terms of what it's doing right you you could recognize that it's 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 carving this path of like redemption and it's going to be the sports movie so was it like recognizable throughout or was it too yeah local? absolutely yeah they've got the beats in because they, they needed something because it, it you know the slapstick and is wacky and there's funny and stuff but you need something to hang it together so that's what the story of redemption was the the story that that sits through and it and it and he does it like i say he's got the right beats at the right time to carry on that story all the way to his conclusion and you needed that you know sometimes it's just you know, if you do slapstick comedy and this kind of, you know, outrageous and, you know, like it is, you need something that it's aiming towards. And you always felt you were on that journey with it, you know, from the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, from the start when she's berated and belittled and stuff. You always with her on the journey through the story. And that helps, obviously, that helps keep it all together so you can hang things off that. 
Um, and I guess that's what they that's what they did. They had the story. That's what it is. And this is what they wanted to do. Then all of a sudden you, you get all that in between. So, yeah, it works really well. And, and really it could have it could have gone so wrong because they mix so many elements. There's so there's a supposed possibly UFO that's shaped like a shuttlecock to get her to the school. It seems like wild fantasy that shouldn't really land as well as it does but somehow it really does it's part of that style uh, and that those cgi sequences you just sort of i suppose to go with it it feels right it feels like I'm, I'm willing to go these places because they just shot a um, they created in the computer a shuttlecock meteorite Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, then this is what we're going to do then. Once you're on board with that, but it hits you right at the beginning. And once you're on board with that, that's it. You can take everything else and it's destroyed because you've just seen this meteorite land down this like shaped like a shuttlecock. So everything else is just like, okay, you know, once you're on board with that, that's it. You're in for the ride. That, that's it. Everything, anything goes from there on in. And, you know, and, and it does. How do you think Egan looks as they shoot him in a benevolent way? And uh, because they introduce the bad guys as they look uh, more nefarious than uh, than excited to play badminton. How do you think uh, Egan looks? Yeah, he looks great. He, he suits his character well. You know what? And, I, and, I've, and, I've, and I've said this, and, and we've kind of did it with the films and stuff. We start with the early and the more mature roles, I guess, when he got, he's, he's been better at, you know, all of a sudden, you know, those years of experience and acting, he can do that. And he can and he can get away with it. And we talked about it before a change of character when all of a sudden he switches characters. And he can do that because he's older and he's got that experience. And it suits him well. You know that look. He kind of looks like you know an older um, hoodie kind of kid and stuff and mm-hmm. gruff and rough. And they all look you know you know villainous. You know and he, and he, and he switches it up later. So yeah, he does it well. It, it's, it's that playful mixture of harder edge style within the scenario. That's then becomes so much fun because it, it is immensely fun seeing he can shot as this benevolent figure and then the movie brightens up and he does and he he's the cheerleader of uh, the the group like uh, they want to join the club we're gonna play badminton man yeah and you don't know you don't like all of a sudden oh god what's the he actually the transition and it's something to do with the writing as well and stuff but you transition you believe it You've, you've got to make that believable, that transition from that and you see him, kind of this benevolent character, all of a sudden this, you know, joyful and join my badminton team, blah, 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 all of a sudden. But it, it's believable and that's what you need. And he gives you that in this film. In, indeed. Uh, and, and it isn't forced cool either because I, I, I think uh, earlier in his career that could have been the case. I mean, I, I never really thought he was cool until he got a little bit older, until he was Mr. Cool, literally. <laughs> Goodbye, yeah, Mr. Cool. Literally. You know, they, they they brighten up the movie literally because they, they, they sort of done the uh, the harder-edged style as setup and I suppose uh, to trip us up a little bit. And then uh, as the movie brightens up, uh, we realize that, and I thought, thought this was so delightful, that these triads, and they're not, super old i mean he's the oldest of the group but uh, the, the other ones look old but uh, the the life of a triad takes a toll on you and mm. uh, we won't reveal i suppose everything but i i can't resist to reveal the fact that uh, Ikin Chang is partially deaf and uh, they they play that for gags but it, it's sort of a delightful thing that uh, he, he shows that he has a thing in his ear oh he can't hear for shit really uh <laughs> if that's not set properly and uh I knew it would work by the point Ikin 
brought his sort of jolly old self out. Uh, you know, mm. welcome to recruitment day. And uh, that enthusiasm was so charming because he can be charming. Uh, and it's not um, something you have to drag out of him. No, no. Like hard. And it only comes out every 40th movie. It's, <laughs> you know, he can respond to it. And I think, uh, you know, he's supposed to be the male lead actor and the way he leads by being this positive force amidst the group that still looks a bit benevolent you know the other guys they they don't look uh, nice and soft necessarily but they're on board with the fact that we're, we're going to change our lives and uh, that's you know I, I knew it would work would work uh, by that point and even you know they they, they, they have some classic comedy with uh, with the hearing aid not working properly and uh, things like that and that worked brilliantly for me because uh, you know he, he may, maybe says like I can't I can't hear it. You, you can't hear anything. What did you say about your mother? <laughs> it's that sort of verbal banter back and forth that can work brilliantly, and I think it really did. Having said that, a make or break element in this film is Ronald Cheng. So suck nipple churn. <laughs> Any spontaneous notes on his look, his act, <laughs> his comedic? chops in this movie yeah i mean he's crazy he's got that kind of bowl head look and stuff i mean you're laughing when you see him straight away so he's already won you over the character he kind of plays and stuff and he's, he's playing that kind of the character the the mischievous the the but said the bad guy of the piece to some extent because he wants to ruin it all and stuff but he plays it so well and he, he just looks he looks funny i'm smoking already as i'm talking because he just the way he it's just... like this mixture of um like, like they took inspirations from like 70s tennis players or something yeah. but then added, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. added this moustache that has little pointed twirls at the end one going up one going down and he looks absolutely ridiculous and it's dangerous territory to wade into but R- ronald has an has a knack for just going for it in a broad fashion and getting away with it quite easily. Um, I don't know if you saw Bulgaria or not, but um, yeah, he, well, well, you should. It's a fantastic movie about making Category 3 movies. He plays a uh, mainland Chinese uh, trial boss who wants to finance a movie. And he, uh, uh, well, I won't describe all the jokes, but uh, it's uh, he uh, runs away with the sequences he, he's in in uh, Bulgaria. It's out on uh, uh, Blu-ray in the UK, so go get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's them. So I, I'm like I say, you know, I, I, I've i always stayed away from the comedic films because every time I see them, you know, it, it's never really hit the hit all the buttons. But you know what? This one has perked my interest up a little bit more, so I shall be delving into the um, into the genre a little bit more. But yeah, Ronald uh, nails it. Absolutely nails it. And you needed someone like that, you know what I mean? Because... This is the story. This is the kind of you. You need someone that's the opposite. That they're they're going to be. You know, hopefully you're going to um, redeem themselves against, and you need that kind of villain of the piece and stuff, and that comedic villain. And, and obviously, Ronald uh, plays it plays it really, really well. I mean, you're meant to hate his guts, and therefore, uh, therefore, that's uh, so they they tick that box. But they they also showcase that these uh, badminton sequences are going to be quite fun and stylish in the way they use uh, slow motion as uh, the opponent smash the shuttlecock and uh, it hits hits uh, a, a leg or hits the opponent or, and there's a lot of Aya! and even later in the movie Ronald, I think the, the most brilliant gag by Ronald, even though we're not going to spoil them all, is when he trips over a bit in the middle of the movie in one sequence, he trips over a bit out of the frame, goes ah! you know, and that's, if you can get me laughing using the most simple means 
then you're onto something definitely then you don't need to come up with anything clever exactly it's the just just by seeing those like without even saying anything that's that's how good and clever it is there's nothing there that kind of think oh yeah that that didn't work in actual fact i can't think of anything i I, I just enjoyed the journey of the characters uh, and the quirky and comedic obviously aspects of it which i wasn't expecting to be honest but there's a heart to it as well i think indeed uh, i mean you get the the sort of uh uh, drinking and puking it out of the way and then the yeah. heart sort of starts revealing itself uh, uh, he, he went unmentioned uh, in our little discussion just now but uh, Andrew Lamb as the drunken master is just a delight of uh, r- randomness especially when he starts talking about all the places he's been in life and all the people he's encountered and you are like okay apparently he's he's been connected to President Richard Nixon at one point so Okie dokie. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, he's uh, passed out most of the movie. He wakes up for a bit and then, you know, out again. Like a light. <laughs> but this is what's so clever about the movie because you kind of have, you know, heartfelt scenes and, you know, Josie and Ekin, you know, they'll, they'll be sitting down in one moment, and, you know, talking to each other, you know, um, by the water and stuff. And then um, Andrew Lamb will come along and stuff. And there's, you know, there's puke and everything, you know, almost, you know, not not much after that, but it works well all together. You, it's, it's like I said, the story with a heart and stuff, and there is a heart there as well. And so it's not just there's several different strings to the movie. And that could have been very annoying if yeah, that wouldn't have come together. I really, I mean, I, I like Hong Kong movies of old that pushes for moods in each direction, but that was just how cinema was kind of made back then. When you do it as recent as 2015. You're doing it with a purpose. You're not doing it just because Hong Kong cinema is like this. Mm. And so this movie has a purpose that we're going to win you over with, with the with the puking and the random English monologues and <laughs> uh, yeah. and that's uh, and that's sort of uh, the massive amounts of CGI at one point and and it it sort of it, it echoes a playfulness that was present in Gallant. So I, I can very much see that this is what Derek Kwok is still thinking of that we're going to get you through. A variety of means and uh, i can't see that either of them really failed at any point uh, because the movie also passes by quite quickly and and all of that uh, and and you're right it, it does have a heart and uh, a purpose and uh, redemption for the criminals as well you know they they want to face a non-violent path in their life and never felt that it was trying to emulate something else either uh, it uh, you know it it had its unique story purpose badminton and a general tone that just made you smile there's just so many scenes i'm still laughing i'm still laughing about it now that's how good that film is i mean did anything ever push the comedic limits too far like they they're way too overblown but awesome in my opinion puking scene was that uh was that still within the right limits it's, it's british comedy you know farting and sick it's just that we would you know we got say we grew up on it but you know that's what we did in our households everybody <laughs> but it's true I, it, it's just coming down to the just the the, the small things but it didn't go too far for me there wasn't you know times when it, it went too far it just hung together nicely there's there's just so many scenes that were so great you just you know, you have to watch it in its entirety, but um, 
I love the fact that while it's Ronald Cheng that gets puked on, while that's <laughs> happening, his go-to sort of like cursy line, at least in English, is indeed, fuck your tits. And he <laughs> repeated so much in this movie. Um, you know, yeah. I think it's seven. I, I noted seven times now. You go and watch the movie, right, and tell me if it's more than seven. But I actually started to write it down, and I got seven fuck your tits. It, it was brilliant. <laughs> So every time he said it and stuff, I was chortling to myself anyway, because it's so funny the first time he uses it. I was like, what? Then when he uses it again, it's still funny, and that's the good thing about it. It shouldn't be, but it works. And a lot of it probably shouldn't, and it, but it works, and it works every time. There's some straight-up usual kind of comedic thing, you know, when they, they come across the um, what I think the four feathers, the kids and stuff, and they just get battered at badminton and stuff. It, it's funny. It's just visually it's funny. There's other things that probably shouldn't be, but it just works. It's cohesive and it works together because you've got that story about kind of redemption and rehabilitation and, and all that kind of thing that, that, that goes through it. And it, all this is, is towards that. Um, and that's why it works so well. It's... For a long while, it is a moody, quirky package. and uh, but, yeah. but but it starts, as you said, reveal some some more heart and some more reality. And it, it earns going into reality you know, not straying into but going into reality like you can change Laudan and and Beast uh, their connection I found likable because it's not tropey romance stuff I mean he's hesitant to connect and uh, it's stock stuff yes but it's been carefully picked and merged and baked into this sort of flying carpet ride of uh, of a movie but but I did find it very heartfelt in places where and i didn't expect it it sort of came up on me and like whoa that whoa that i need to rewind rewind that moment because it really took me by surprise and that's sort of gonna spoil it a little bit it's a mid-movie uh, sort of sister and brother scene uh it's a kwan ho who berates her throughout the movie mostly um because he doesn't like the way his sister has acted and and uh, he even says in the beginning of the movie like it's your fault that mom died so obviously they're not on the same terms but at one point josie ho's character calls him and she has self-doubt and then you you'd want to reach out you you'd you'd want to find someone in your life that you can reach out to especially after you failed and uh, and fallen and that's why that phone scene works because uh, he is uh, as broad as he seems uh, at Sequan Ho he's, uh, he's an accomplished theatre actor as well and uh, appears a fair amount in movies but uh, you know he's an accomplished dramatic actor and his lovely lovely dialogue that just sheds all the fat dumb lazy cunt from earlier in the movie immediately is that he says uh, well if you don't want to play come home it's okay um this is i think he says there's a stool here waiting for you yeah but if you do decide to play i'll be there you know in this case spirit because he can't be there they're in macau at this point but uh, if you do play i would be the one in the first row there for you so do all this for yourself don't think too much and that's just god damn dramatic beats that work so well and i want to be as good of a filmmaker but i'm not so i'll let these people be good filmmakers as well that was lovely just so they're not not even even in the same scene obviously but uh, through the magic of movies that uh, that gets done so that was um, you know josie has earned her stripes throughout the movie comedically and uh, and uh, looking uh, disheveled and then later on she receives a bit of a makeover and she's back to her old self but uh, that's uh that's good stuff 
because uh, they, they they reach each other like they probably haven't for for many years uh, brother and sister in this case Ken still getting choked off as it is I, 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 I am because it's beautiful writing man <laughs> I, I, partic- I, I love no, that bit where like you, there's a stool here for you but if you want to play I'll, there, I'll, I'll be there front row and uh, you don't need to complicate things with symbolism and philosophy sometimes you just need to say proper heartfelt things yeah exactly one thing that worried me a little bit was the fact that the tournament starts quite early in the film it's like at the hour mark and you still got 47 minutes to go at that point um so essentially the finale starts quite early um i don't know if you noticed where you were in the movie but it's a long finale so how do you think they deal with that that extended finale yeah, you're right, because you, all of a sudden you, you get to the tournament, you're like, well, hold on a second, you're right, there's like, you know, 40, 45 minutes left, how are you going to do it? But it's kind of another chapter, so to speak, because you do, as you normally expect, you expect these things to be like, the last 20 minutes, there we go and stuff, but they do, they bring in some new elements, some fun elements, they they, they, they develop the characters a little bit further, Obviously, Joseph's obviously had a makeover and stuff, and they develop, you know, Ekin, and there's, there's some nice beats in there and stuff. So there's things to do with it. I can understand why they why they did that. And again, there's heartfelt moments with the brother again, and they've done that because they can use that. So they elongated the ending. So even though it's like you're there, actually they don't they don't actually get there until there's a there's a like like ten minutes before they actually get into the band study, and then they elongate it. So it worked quite well actually because you've taken it out of one environment and it makes the story zip along uh, quicker than you expect because it does it, it, it's an hour and what an hour nearly an hour and 50 minutes movie but actually it just it just goes it just flies by because there's so much to to see so yeah it breaks up the dramatic beats that uh, they've decided to feature here because the criminals need to uh, deal with their past once more as well i won't say anything else uh, because they're on a journey, not just Josie, but uh, they're on a journey. So, 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 so. Therefore, it wasn't um, it wasn't uh, that um, particularly worrisome, even though they get to the finale very quickly. Uh, but I felt like they 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 split up uh, scenarios. They were in different settings as well, and uh, so they weren't pulling in many directions, but appearing like they were lacking focus. I think there was. A focus here and also some surprises because you would think you you'd know that andrew lamb as the disheveled drunken master he was gonna get uh, his day in the sun as well and uh, be able to shine in this movie because he's a he, he's a legendary badminton player so <laughs> so it's uh it's, and, and he, he's still able it's not like you know the rip torn character in dodgeball that is in a wheelchair anyway so he won't be able to join join the people uh, there on the dodgeball court but uh uh, and Andrew Lamb has, uh, you know, still chops left in him. <laughs> and I love the bit where he has his big speech at the end of the movie, uh, towards the end of the movie. My God, have you heard anyone mention the word, the, the, the different variations of rape more than this <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah raping, what was it, raping, uh, sodomizing, raping. I can't, I started to write it down and was like, no, no, Ken will have all this down. I'm telling you, that's It's his big emotional speech <laughs> about past errors. And then, yeah, past errors, like, like you're losing focus, up. master, master chick here. <laughs> he, he's delightful. There's a little credits yeah. bit with him as well. That way just keeps going on about where he's been and, um, how he's lived his life. Uh, okay, if you say so. 
um, and, and and stuff like uh, I mean it's impossible to quote, but uh, th- there's no reason why Ronald Cheng's little monologue about trying to find a taxi in Macau, all performed in English, should work. But man, does it work? Because I was waiting there for forty-five minutes, like there's no taxi, and he's doing it in English, and his English is impeccable. And it at by that point, I, I'm. It, the movie is so you know you know well established that there's not a single thing that really fails here, uh, including that. Like uh, that's indulging, but even that works uh, very well. And uh, it um, it really um, came together for me during the second viewing. Uh, now that I knew a little bit of its uh, wild sort of style, but uh, it's not it's not for any everyone. Be ready for getting hit hit in the face by cinematic shuttlecocks i suppose but um there, there's a proper movie in there there is a real movie there's a there's a real movie with heart in there um and that comes through as well and, that, and that's why it's so clever because of all the slapstick all the art, artistic there's like a, there's a warm fuzzy feeling you get throughout it all the way and it takes you all the way journey all the way right to the end um and we won't go into it watch it see it and it works really well, and that's testament to obviously writer, director, and the, and the cast. And In, indeed, and he's still uh, he, he can afford his um, like like he's older, but he's stuck to his um, sort of long haired image, which I think suits him very well. Uh, still, you know, uh, if anything, it didn't suit him very well back then. Now it just feels like he's you know he's gro- grown into his looks. Granny. So he can keep his hair. He can keep his hair that way. <laughs> Pretty boy kind of look and stuff. All of me matures into, you know, the the actor that he should be. And he is. And certainly in later films. So, yeah, it's been uh, interesting. But, you know, like I said, don't, don't take credit away from me. It's, it's a great movie and he plays it so well in this and he is the lead. And he stands out as such. Any other notes you want to share, uh, Phil, before we move on to availability and uh, the final uh, Ikin Aiken tally, tally of it all? It's the final countdown. Um, no, no, just <laughs> there's just so many, just so many great gags. I just there's a couple like when um, when the plane bandits and he said uh, I didn't know I hid it inside the box. And, uh, <laughs> it just works on so many levels. Um, shouldn't do. Shouldn't really be funny, but it is. I'm sorry. Um, there are just so many gags. It is just chocker full. You could just name lots. But um, there's, uh, like I say, it was uh, fun, fun, fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah. Cool. Well, as for availability of Full Strike, it was issued on a two-disc DVD and Blu-ray in Hong Kong. Uh, currently, the Blu-ray looks to be a bit more elusive, but the DVD is still still readily available in Hong Kong, so you can get it uh, that way. And um, even though it, you know, it deserves a an HD look uh, uh, go grab the DVD despite because uh, it's uh, certainly worth it uh, once you're into the flow of, of it all uh, watching it in standard definition is uh, is not a problem so so that's it in terms of we reviewed nine movies and uh, because it's been a long series we've uh, and we're gonna the purpose here is to determine whether Ikin is Ikin good or if he's Ikin bad and uh, we we won't go, I suppose, in order in, uh, in time, because we, we we're going to share again our sort of uh, what movie was Ekin, what was Ekin, and then throw out like a super quick blurb about each, just to remind you of where this series was and where we ended up. But obviously, we're with full strike. Uh, it's uh, we we both mentioned that we like it very much, and uh, therefore Ekin gets an Ekin. I mean, it, it is this full on goofy visual in tense quirky sports movie where where he does well mixing you know being this hard ass 
triad and danny's the deaf cheerleader of the group and uh, then he he wants to get traction in life uh, and away from triads by employing the sport of badminton and it is the some of the best comedy i've seen him do and he's gone from awkward actor in the 90s to sort of peak charm i suppose so yeah, so I I uh, did write that little blurb about the movie. Uh, so just for the sake of purposes, uh, uh, now that we're in the Ikenekin Ikene tally, uh, what do you want to say in terms of full strike within this section? It was Ikin good fun, and I loved it. We we we'd saved the best for last, or you saved the best for last, and it was uh, yeah, it was a damn good, heartfelt, fun movie, and um, yeah. And uh, got my got my vote for for weekend. And Dave, if we go back uh, to the beginning, the first movie we mm-hmm. reviewed was Return to a Better Tomorrow, which I I wholeheartedly approved of, including Yikin. Uh, it's shameless title aside, it, it's a really solid, vicious, cool piece of heroic bloodshed from Wong Jing, where Yikin gets to participate and actually look cool in several sort of signature gunplay moments. So uh, that's my brief. Eking, uh, eking uh, for a return to a better tomorrow. And in a brief blurb uh, from you on return to a better tomorrow. For me, it was uh, it was an eking, and um, I wrote it was better than you think, but not as good as tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, see what I did there. Yeah. It, uh, it's a movie that uh, should have also like oh, it's trying to cash in or stuff. Yeah, but the... yeah, yeah. But it works somehow. It splits the audience. That one, I have to say, it splits people. But you know, as a as a heroic bloodshed movie, take away the title, we said it. You know, it's it's a, it works. If we throw back to the current episode again, we watched uh, Divergence, and I thought that was a pretty decent mystery with uh, good dips into action. And I, I got curious in the former half about the barrister that Ekin played. Why? What was the deal with his quiet, robotic nature? And then the full reveal reveal his place in the trio and i thought that worked decently enough not not as like full strike wholeheartedly recommendation but he worked and he earned himself um an ekin for that one divergence ekin saves it by diverging diverging <laughs> into a new character i thank you <laughs> it almost sounded like you had some canned applause ready for yourself like a... <laughs> you know <laughs> I uh, probably did in my mind. Yeah, thanks. Does any of these toys make noises? <laughs> Can I push Keanu? Will he? Will he? Where's the monkey with the uh, symbol? Where's exactly. He anyway, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so let's um, move back and forward a little bit. There, uh, you know, uh, the second half of our first episode was uh, uh, covering the movie Feel One Hundred Percent, which was um, uh, absolutely uh, big, big pile of doo doo. Uh, it's a uh, comic book adaptation and with or without knowledge of the comic book it's based on it's just an annoying disaster feel 100% has no appealing characters chemistry between them fun and the baffling attempts at, at quirky humor just uh, and it features 20 something something characters that feel that they're in their 30s so that doesn't work so that that, that was probably you know <laughs> the the series uh so black sheep i suppose uh, that was the worst i think that the series got there uh, at least in terms of eating lead role uh, we'll get to the twins effect and he's not in that movie that much but hey that's feel 100 percent for you so uh, any short notes on on that one i just put warm fuzzy but doesn't feel good 
I mean, at that point, he was uh, just trying to, like, I'm going to be fun and sort of, I'm going to be a suave guy. I'm so super handsome and I work with Windows 95 computers for some reason. But, uh, exactly. It was, it was a trying thing. He wasn't, it just wasn't quite there yet as, a, as an actor. And, and the trying thing, you just couldn't do it. You could, just couldn't pull it off. So, yeah. We'll move forward again to rule number one for this episode. And I thought that was a thrilling, haunting, sometimes quirky horror. And it's a great setup. It's a darker body picture with chasing ghosts at its at its center. And I think Ikin letting himself go a bit willingly merges well with the sort of tropey detective character chasing ghosts that... Uh, that he is and uh, that looks good on him you know the beige uh, trench coat sort of uh, trope and uh, smoking and drinking detective that looked good on him good on him so I enjoyed that and it is genuinely sort of a thrilling and scary movie too yeah definitely definitely neaking probably of all the films we've seen probably from a from an acting point of view probably it's finest just because of the way character driven in he just he came across as something different he'd obviously put on weight for the role he works so well so it's uh, rule number one there are ghosts yes yes going back again the twins effect which is uh, he's not in it that much but he is uh, the main lead for all intents and purposes so and it's a uh, he's not good as the vampire hunter and he's uh, annoying when he's not chasing vampires uh, it, obviously a commercial very obviously designed the movie around its counterpop stars but donnie's action often is exemplary and uh, he can participate in that but when it's the twins and eking comedic stuff i think it's close to unbearable uh, there are some cute scene with, scenes with edison dog and um, and charlene but it's not a plus for Ekin at all i mean uh, by the time he starts to turn into a vampire you just shake your head not funny, not scary. What's the point? And Jackie Chan is in it, so what? So a big, <laughs> so a big egg. <laughs> Apparently, it's way better than Twins Mission, though. But Eking wasn't in that. So, <laughs> speaking of another, like, uh, who, who, who are, who is this movie named after? Well, look at it. Look at the cast list. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Did you ever see Twins Mission? Because that's a Samo movie too, or. Yeah, I don't remember it. I'm sure I probably did. I, I probably did, but super, hey. super bad. Mm, it probably that's why I probably wiped it from my memory banks and yeah. and same with this really. If I don't see it again, it'll be a, it'll be an honour. So I was aching all over it, and uh, my tagline for this obviously has no effect. <laughs> <laughs> got, you got me there. You, you, you worked well on these. I did. I tell you what, it was after full strike. I was just full of comedic. You know, I was. I tell you what, I, I wanted to puke be a stand-up comedian yeah i could have yeah that was it i was i was i was buzzing off it yes no no effect we also looked at the big special effects extravaganza storm riders uh, from andrew Lau and where he co-starred with aaron quok and sometimes it gets the den fresh wuja style because it was infused with a lot of cg sometimes that's that is fun but it's a bit of a slog underwhelming and uh, neither Ikin or Aaron can break out of the visual casting that they both are because they don't really provide much character outside of the visual casting which has more to do with their hair than anything else and uh, I, I didn't really didn't really enjoy that I didn't see it back in the day either some 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 people say that I'm not sure it holds up but back in the day I enjoyed it but um, it's it's certainly not bad bad but uh, it left my consciousness quite uh, quickly and it's not a signature movie for Ikim at 
all. So um, a fairly big aching for that one. It's Andrew Lau too, so it's his fault. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I couldn't even come up with any punchlines. It was that bad. He was aching and it was just a CGI let down. I couldn't, you know, it wasn't. I remember you said you, you, you enjoyed portions of it, but in terms of aching. Yeah, no, really. That's that's what I mean. We've said this about this, and when we watched it, and we've done with the series that we're looking at aching or aching as well as the film. So I still had to judge it on him, but for him, no, we just didn't. It didn't work. It didn't work. So yeah, he's another one of the few movies we didn't agree on was My Wife Is Eighteen. Uh, is a rom-com and uh, I was hoping this uh, revisit to this uh, would make me like Ikin Chengs and uh, Charlie Joyce at first strained and then playful and then romantic chemistry him being 30 years old she being um, 18 years old but the concept of old and young didn't work for me it was too wacky I, I needed a slight more realistic touch and uh, to make them likable um, and I didn't really find that so uh, New Millennium um, Aiken was still aching for me so I didn't like it I, I enjoyed it, it was an Aiken for me it was light and breezy I put light and breezy, that's what it was for me um, like I say um, we agreed to disagree on it but um, it worked for me for Aiken we won't do uh, full strike cursing at each other <laughs> just because we disagreed <laughs> So the last movie here, and we've consciously confused you by working, uh, going back and forth. So let me just check. I put a, uh, an X across everyone I've mentioned. Yes, indeed. So the last movie, and perhaps the finest dramatically, I think, uh, Goodbye, Mr. Cool, is a big aching for me. And it's, you know, after the young and dangerous times end, you have to deal with the consequences. And that is this movie. And that led to Ikin's best performance, I think, uh, at least dramatically or within the triad genre. And Jingle Ma's best movie. Uh, not a very reliable director. And uh, this movie got an official tear from me during the viewing of it. You know, endorsement, I guess it's called. Well, there's usually if you see tears and stuff on, on people and stuff, they're tattooed. And that means, you know, I've killed someone in Ken's case. That means, you know, it's got the endorsement of... Uh, of much love. Um, it was uh, hello, Mr. Cool, for me. I know a bit obvious, folks, but hey, it was an aching and a well deserved one at that. Uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, it's a post Young and Dangerous triad picture and played out very well, being one dramatically because he was a character that didn't want to have anything to do with this world. He wanted to move on as well. And uh, in the end, sort of couldn't because uh, the, these are the forces that bring you back in, I suppose. So. So that's our sort of summary, and um, and uh, our uh, our respective counts are going to happen now. So I have uh, we've done nine movies, so that means uh, uh, you know I didn't do ten and uh, sort of uh, trip myself up like God damn it, it's five five. I messed up. We did nine, so obviously uh, some divide is going to happen at one point. So I have in terms of Aiken, and this is going to answer your questions, I suppose. I have one, two, three, four, and that means I have one, two, three, four, five Aiken. I like him. I liked him before. I officially like him still. I tell you what, that's just good going. I like him a little bit more because I have one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I got six likes for uh, Aiken. Surprising, to be fair. Surprising. We only disagreed on the one. And yeah, I was surprised I liked him that much. That that did as a as a, an exercise. But you know, a solid solid six. That's that's the best so far. I think solid six. And there are. Still solid movies out there that we obviously didn't pick uh, because he, he's he's proven to be, you know, a capable romantic uh, comedy lead, a capable romantic drama lead, and uh, that that is a sort of lead in 
to the fact that they're actually as a reward for listening and for sticking with us for another sort of actor defining series as well as you can now go to the, our website podcastonfire.com and listen to an exclusive bonus episode which you're is too um, good to them ken you're too good for them earlier well it's an un, it's an unofficial eking hour this won't add to our five four or six three tallies but where what me and phil are going to do in that bonus episode that is up now only on podcastonfire.com is to talk of the 2009 movie Claustrophobia with Ikin Cheng and Karina Lam, directed by Ivy Ho, and also 2014's uh, Breakup 100, which uh, which I haven't seen. It uh, came as a recommendation from Paul Fox as a solid romantic uh, movie with um, him and uh, I think Chrissy Chow, possibly, but I need to look into that again. Uh, this won't turn up in your podcast feeds because it is a website exclusive bonus episode so as, as a reward for sticking with us we're gonna have an, another discussion that won't add to the eking favorable tally of it all so um that's uh that's our thanks to you and even if we haven't done hadn't done an an extra show thank you for sticking with us for this focused series because it is fun to break stuff down you you i suppose uh, extend your focus maybe change your focus a little bit because the purpose here is not just to determine if the movie is good or bad because um there's the performer to single out as well and in some cases it might be that uh, not not necessarily in this series for us but in some cases you never know so sometimes an actor can be way better than the movie actually is but and stand out you might give a favorable grade to the performer in this case but um uh, so that was the different focus, I suppose. Uh, the thing is, now, Phil, I don't know where we're going to go oh, from now. Know. I know Jay has suggested Dean Check, but the problem there is, one, the filmography is vast. Two, he was not a leading actor as such. He turned up to be the goofball. And I'm not sure what to do with that. We, we need a lead, folks. We need someone at lead because... If you supporting show you that, yeah, well, <laughs> great. Sorry, walked on for five minutes. Yeah, can, can I judge him on that? No, not really. So it's gonna have to be a lead. We're gonna have to, the, the folks out there, you're gonna have to help us if you want the series to carry on. Give us some suggestions, give us a few. We'll pick Ken will obviously pick the best out of them, but we need leads. Give us something juicy, please. I've enjoyed this series, they've been great. And if you've enjoyed them, then you know, give some suggestions and let's let's carry it on. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to uh, finish off this, uh, uh, not this bonus, but this bumper episode, this uh, long Ikin Cheng finale that covered Divergence Rule number 1 and Full Strike. We've been here totes for a couple of hours and not uh, done this over a number of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's all the same to you, <laughs> listeners. But uh, we've been able to have a breather in between uh, one or two of the segments here. So... But uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com, including uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, links to the rest of the Ikin Hours, or just follow the, the tag that I put on the site that's uh, uh, called the Ikin Hour, and you'll get all the episodes uh, gathered that way. But uh, for all your needs uh, in terms of uh, back catalogue of our other shows and so forth, podcastonfire.com. So... I'm going to conclude my plugging right there. Uh, in the midst of talking so many Ikin Cheng movies for a totes a couple of hours and uh, not two weeks you might have forgotten that you have a website phil but uh, now that i reminded you you have a website what is it called what do you do <laughs> god damn it what are you gonna call eastern film fans so www.easternfilmfans.co.uk also on twitter and facebook uh, and instagram as well so 
come over, say hi, fuck your tits, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm good with it. It's the YouTube channel, Eastern Film Fans. Yeah, thank as you well. very much for that. Yeah, the, the YouTube channel as well and stuff. So if you've got time, please drop by, drop a like. Um, let's see what we've got. We've got a few tasty interviews on there with a certain Scott Adkins, Max Riposi, and more coming online real soon. So, yeah, check it out. Excellent. Well, that's us for this, this series. Follow us over to the bonus episode. Uh, if you like, we would appreciate it. But the official series of the Eakin Hour that is in your podcast feeds, uh, that is now done and concluded. And thank you very much for following it and supporting it. And I've been Kennedy, and with me was... Phil G of EasternFilmFans.co.uk and please, please don't curse as we sign off in a loving way here so forget full strike for like a second and then sign off <laughs> it was so good yeah it, it, it's been an honor thanks uh, thanks folks and thank you Ken it's been great you're not a fat dumb lazy country <laughs> how's that for loving that's a whole lot of love Ken a whole lot of love <laughs> you don't need to fuck your tits Ken thank you that's awesome I, don't, I won't I can't but I won't anyway